In the AM, our nine days format continues here at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial and around the world on the web. JM in the AM.org will start uh, today. This is the final program that I'll be doing before uh, Tishabov. And we do have a, a full Friday uh, coming up. We'll speak to Charlie Harari in the third hour. Abayudin will join us in the third hour from Israel. Um, uh, Malcolm Honeline in our second hour, about uh, an hour and a half from now, as we do our weekly updates. We have plenty to do, but I wanted to get to Rabbi Beryl Wine and his uh, lecture entitled The uh, Part One of the Tisha B'Av Haftorahs. And uh, we'll do that to kick off our Erev Shabbos Chazon program here on a Friday morning at JM in the AM. The Haftorah that uh, I'm going to deal with is the Haftorah for Tisha B'Av, for the ninth day of Av, the saddest day of the Jewish calendar. And the Haftorah is uh, from the prophet Yirmiyahu. You know that there's a word in English that's called a uh, Jeremiah. A Jeremiah is an elegy, a uh, sad, uh, doleful uh, type of prophecy. Well, uh, this is the chapter that I got the word from. This Haftorah is not only uh, sad, but the Navi uh, recites it in almost a ferocious tone. And that's why it's according to the custom of the Ashkenazim, it is the Haftorah for the morning of Tishabov. The uh, Svardim have a different Haftorah, uh, which is... Uh, in its way uh, more, uh, I don't know when to say cheerful, but it's less ferocious than this one. Asof asifem nuhum Hashem. Asof asifem, I will utterly destroy them. That's the uh, usual uh, translation of the word asof asifem. I shall utterly destroy them. To gather them, meaning like to gather them off the face of the earth. Uh, it can also mean that I will gather all of the fruit and all of the food and all of the defenses possible against the enemy, and the Jewish people will be left exposed and bare. We will see that uh, this Haftorah fits in very well in the description of all the times of terrible trouble of the Jewish people, and that the Novi may have had our, uh, our generation, the previous generation, in mind. There are no grapes on the vine. And there are no figs in the, on the fig tree. And the leaves have withered. 
and whatever I gave them as a gift, Yavrum has since passed away from them. There is nothing left for them. And the Forshim here say as follows. Grapes are the uh, most uh, important of all of the fruits in the world. Because from grapes you can make something. Not only the grapes, you make wine, which is the has always been, at least in Jewish life, the most important of liquids. So grapes are representative. Sometimes you have people who are creative. It's not just the person himself. It's that this person can influence so many others. This person can benefit so many others. So they have been taken away. There are no more grapes on the vine. But at least you have people left, people in their own right, even if they're not necessarily effective with others, but they as a, as a person exist. That's taining bataino, the figs and the fig tree. You can't do much with figs except eat them. But the fig itself is a nourishing, sustaining food. There are no figs in the fig tree either. There are no people left. And not only that, there are people who themselves are shallow, who themselves are of little social value, who don't contribute that much to society. Uh, they're there for window dressing. They're there for show. They also are not here. Veheole novel. The, with their representative of the leaf on the tree, which is there for protection and for show. It cannot be eaten, but it's part of the tree also. And the leaves have also withered. Every gift that I gave them, God says, Yavrum has been taken from them by the enemy. We have this concept many times in Tanakh, and the irony of life is that a person never knows who one really toils for. I, we don't know for whom the bell tolls. You really don't know whom you're saving your money for either. Because many times uh, it ends up in the hands of the government or the lawyers or all sorts of things that one never imagined. And it's taken. The Avrun, it's taken away. All the gifts that one had that could have been used for a positive and strong uh, action, all of that has been taken away. So the people who live in the scattered cities, in the defenseless towns, so they say, well, what are we doing here? What are we staying here exposed they're convinced that if they go to the main cities where the defensive walls have been constructed, that they will be saved. Let us come and gather and go to the fortified cities, to the cities that are well protected. So here again is the, not only the imagery of refugees on the run, uh, but the, the nature of people is to try and find some sort of refuge and improvement in their situation. 
So the people don't realize that it's a general calamity. They feel that they'll be safe somewhere else, which is what happened in the Second World War in Eastern Europe, that no one imagined the general calamity. And they thought that if they went to Vilna, they'll be safe, or to Warsaw, they'll be safe, without realizing that there was no longer any safe haven. Benidim Hashem. Benidim Hashem, we will be silent there. So silence here is uh, uh, an ironic word. They say we'll be silent, we won't be noticed. We'll be able to blend into the society and we'll be able to escape and be part of it. And the Lord says, Benidim Hashem, there they will be struck dumb. They will be made silent. They'll be cut off. And the Novi continues how futile that is. Ki Hashem Elokeinu Hadimonu. The Lord our God has silenced us. So the silence is that we cannot even pray to Him. The doors are closed. Ninalu The gates of prayer are closed. Nothing could move Him anymore. So there is a stage in human existence that is beyond our understanding where the gates of prayer are closed. We find that uh, in the personal life of Moshe, our teacher, who God told him it's uh, in the Parsha of Eschanon, so Moshe prayed unto God. He broke down the gates of prayer, and God told him, that's it, forget it. Stop it. And their bone shalom said, Rav it's enough. I don't want to hear anything more. So there is a uh, the gap between our understanding of the world and our understanding, so to speak, of the nature of the Creator and the reality of it. So the Lord has silenced us because even our traditional weapons of prayer do us no good anymore. Mayashkenu Meirosh. He has given us to drink the waters, the poisonous waters. Rosh is a poison. It's polluted waters. Ki Hashem, because our sins have overwhelmed us. We have sinned to God, and therefore this tragedy has occurred to us. May Rosh is a, an interesting... Uh, Phenomena, because when the person, according to the Mephorshim, when the person begins to drink the water, he doesn't realize that there's anything wrong with the water. It's not till the aftertaste sets in. It's a little like uh, Shoprite Cola. That the, it's only after the aftertaste sets in do you realize that it isn't so good. And then it's too late, right? And here it's poisonous, in fact. It's corrupted. It's, uh, it cannot be, uh, cannot be consumed. So this also is an imagery of how the Jewish people were. They drank strange waters. They served strange gods. So while they were drinking it, they thought everything was fine. Now the aftertaste has caught up to them. Now they realize that they have poisoned their system and that God will not overlook it. We hoped for peace, but, ain't told, but there's nothing good that happened. 
no good came upon us. We hoped for a time of healing. Marpe is like with an olive. This is spelled with a hay, but it's the same word. Marpe, we hoped for a time of refua, time of healing, vihine vasa, and instead of that, there's terror. Vasa is terror. The terror, the panic. That is, that, that is the, uh, the psychological fright that we know as many times as bad, if not as worse than the actual physical danger. And so in Israel, never the people died of a heart attack. One of my uh, Talmudim, five of my Talmudim were in Eretz Yisrael for, for these two weeks, and they came back. And one of them told me that, uh, that uh, Friday there was a uh, thunderstorm in Tel Aviv. And the peal of the thunder, people ran into the shelter because of the fact that they thought the Patriot missiles were going. That's the terror. That's the fright. He said other Jews stood on the street and recited the bracha out loud. There's a bracha that you make on thunder. Which is, again, the same, the reaction to it. I have, uh, you know, Saddam Hussein deserves some credit. I have uh, someone in Israel that I... Uh, I've dealt with for many, many years regarding uh, certain uh, foundations that uh, the yeshiva has been able to uh, to get some money from, and we've been able to place people. And, uh, interesting. So the person is uh, an agnostic, if not an atheist. And comes when they come to the yeshiva to visit the yeshiva, they like they don't know how to put on a yarmulke. It's uh, it's against their conscience, their inner conscience. But, uh, you know, Rabbi Wine's a nice guy. I always treat him nicely. And I write to him. So I wrote to him uh, two days ago. I faxed him something. And then the fact that I hope the Mirza Shem to be in Israel in the next uh, few days, relatively speaking, and that I have to meet with him, and I want to know if the meeting is on, etc. And if you could... Uh... So I got the fax back this morning. And he writes in the fax. He wrote it out with his own hand, not with a typewriter. He wrote it out with his own hand. And he says, When you come, God willing, to Jerusalem, you know, we'll talk about these and these matters. Right? The guy writes, Yeah, So you cannot say that he doesn't have some effect, our friend Saddam. But it's a frightening thing. That's the terror. Behold, we thought that there would be a time of healing, and instead it's a time of terror. Midon Nishma Nacharasusov. This is the description of the enemy. From Don in the north, we hear the neighing of his horses. We hear the noise of his horses, of the uh, of the uh, cavalry charging. So when the horse charges, he breathes heavily through his nostrils. So you hear that sound. So to us, uh, where we're no longer in in horse and uh, cavalry warfare. So we would say, you hear the sonic boom of the jets, you hear the explosions, you hear the sounds of war. They say that one of the uh, most frightening things in the modern battlefield is simply the noise. The noise is of a nature that paralyzes people. 
So that's, we hear it coming from the north, Midon. Mikol Mitzhalo Sabirov, we hear the voices, the shouts of their heroes, of their strong men. In the ancient world, even as late as the American Civil War, the rebel yell. In the south, uh, when the soldiers charged, so they had a special yell. And in all of the uh, records of the Civil War, anyone who heard the rebel yell remembered it for the rest of their lives, both friend and foe. So that's the Mitzhalo Sabiro, the shouts of its heroes, the yell. All the earth trembles. It trembles because of the great mass of humanity that is moving. And they have come to consume the entire country, the land and everything that is in it. The city and all those who dwell within it. So the city refers to all the cities of Israel, but it refers always most specifically to the city of Yerushalayim, which is the city in the world. Now, because God says, Ki hineni meshaleach bochem nechoshim tzifonim. I am sending amongst you snakes that are vipers. That's the description of the enemy. Tzifoni is a viper. That's the most poisonous of snakes. It's a snake that even that if it touches you, it destroys you. There are snakes that uh, nobody likes snakes particularly, but there are snakes uh, like the garden snake or the garter snake that uh, is not necessarily dangerous at all. It may even be beneficial. Keeps uh, keeps other uh, rodents and insects out of your tomato patch but then there are poisonous snakes but there are poisonous snakes that a person can recover from the bite they are not very poisonous it's not fun but there are poisonous and then there are snakes that are like vipers where the bite is lethal where the venom is such that it paralyzes the human nervous system in an instant and the person can't breathe, cannot come to himself. So that's, God says, on the snakes, the enemies that I am sending you, not nice enemies. You know, America in the middle of bombing Iraq, he says today, you know, that we're going to need $20 billion to rebuild it. Right? So, you know, that's America. You know, therefore, they already got in the budget, they're going to rebuild it. But uh, most uh, our enemies are nechoshim tzifonim. They are vipers. Asher ein lohem lochash. So ein lohem lochash has a double meaning. One meaning is that they have no venom. They have no venom. Meaning uh, that they're so poisonous that you don't need any venom, right? They're just the teeth, the fangs alone kill. They don't have to inject you with a tremendous amount of venom. They are so lethal. Others learn, they make no noise. They are so stealthily careful to surprise you that they make no noise. You don't even realize that the snake is upon you. Others say, there is no antidote to their bite. 
because uh, many snake bites have an antidote. And if a person injects himself with the antidote so he's able to survive, this is one that has no antidote. It has, there's no way to get rid of this bite. So all three pshoti mean the same, that you're talking here about a snake for which there is no defense. And they shall certainly bite you. Don't think that you will escape. So we have here, uh, as I mentioned, you know, a ferocity of vision. And you'll see that the Novi doesn't even ask the Jewish people to do tshuva. He doesn't say pray to God because he says it's useless. You know, you just, you got to take it. There's nothing there. It's irreversible. It's of no use. Mavligisi ale yogon. I strengthen myself. Mavligisi means I strengthen myself in my grief, in my sorrow, the Novi says. Olai libi davoi. Inside me, my heart is sad and broken. Why? Because the Novi's been saying this for 30 years. He said, this is what's going to happen. Now he sees that everything he said comes true. So there are people in the world, never that like to say, I told you so. Who have a perverse pleasure over the fact that they are right. I see they always write for the Wall Street Journal. Right? I told you so. Nobody likes to hear, I told you so. Not in a family, not in a school, not in the community, not in the world. It doesn't accomplish anything. But here the Novi is genuinely heartbroken that his words have come true. Don't forget the Novi was put in jail for saying these things. He was in the dungeon. He was arrested a number of times. He was held up to ridicule. The kings of Judah said that he's a troublemaker. He's not telling the truth. The truth is that nothing's going to happen. And now he is vindicated beyond any imagination. So the Novi uh, humanly uh, would be allowed a moment, a glimpse of uh, self-satisfaction. I told you so. You didn't listen to me. Look what happened. But that's not the Novi Yermio. The Novi is heartbroken. Hine kol shavas basami. I hear the voice, the shouts of the daughter of my people, meaning of my people, my daughter. Me'eretz machakim. She shouts from a far land. He sees them in the exile already. Jews scattered all over the world, far from their homes. Hashem ein b'tzion. Is God no longer in Zion? There are no Jews there. The temple is destroyed. There's no Jewish settlement. We, uh, who in our time uh, have never had to imagine, I always feel that when I speak in the yeshiva to the boys, so in the yeshiva there is nobody there almost that, uh, uh, that remembers any time when the Jewish people didn't own Jerusalem and didn't have the Western Wall, and uh, you know, to them it's uh, you know that's the way it's supposed to be. And there's no amongst us. There was always the, in our lifetime a great Jewish settlement in the land of Israel, but it was not always like that. 
In fact, for most of the time, it was not like that at all. We take it for granted. Take the state of Israel for granted. We take everything for granted. It's supposed to be that way. And we even have complaints that it's not the way we like it. I remember when I was a uh, child growing up in my uh, parents' home in Chicago, so uh, we used to get letters from Palestine, from my father's relatives, from my relatives. So the, the British, who always were very even-handed in, in these matters, so the stamp of Palestine had the Mosque of Omar on it. That was the stamp of Palestine. And uh, I remember my father used to peel off the stamp. He used to keep the stamps. So I once asked him, what do we need the stamps for? You know, you can't use them here. <clears throat> so he said the stamp is printed in Hebrew. It's a Hebrew stamp. It says on it, it said Palestine in Hebrew. It said in Arabic and in English and in Hebrew. So the Eastern European Jews, if you saw a postage stamp printed in Hebrew, so that was, you know, that meant something. Different world, different understanding. So the, the God is not in Zion, right? The Jewish people are not there. Just as an aside, Israel has probably the most beautiful postage stamps in the world. They put out such a beauty. It was the 900th. Your side of Rashi. So they put out a stamp for Rashi and Rashi letters. It was just just beautiful, that stamp I have. Just beautiful. I mean, like the right thing. Right thing to do. I commented on the yeshiva in that too, that Greece never put out a stamp of Alexander the Great yet. Italy didn't put out a stamp of Julius Caesar. Right? They're all gone, right? He put out a stamp in Rashiksav, everybody caught it, you know. Everybody got, understood immediately the stamp. They didn't use the regular Hebrew, they used the Rashi Hebrew to put it out. So that's, uh, you know, that's the Jewish people. Imalko Engba, the king is not there, the, the royal palace is not inhabited. Where is God? How could such a thing happen? So God answers, Madua hi chisuni bifsilehem, Bahavle nechor. Wow, how about them? Why did they anger me for so many centuries with their idols? Bahavle nechor, with the vanities of the strangers. How did, why did they do that, right? Now they ask, what happened to God? God asks, what happened to you? Now, this is the ongoing conversation, which is the story of the exile of the Jewish people. We and God never seem to get the story straight. How did it happen? Ovar Kotsir Kolokoyitz, the harvest season has passed. Kayitz, the summer is gone. People thought that somehow we would be saved in the passage of time. Some miracle would come and stop the Babylonian army. A miracle would occur. It's interesting how all the contests remain the contests of the Bible, right? Babylonia, right? So we think Babylonia, Babylonia. Here it is, Babylonia. The old contests are all here. You know, Saddam Hussein uh, 
uh, named his nuclear reactor Tammuz 17, after the 17th day of Tammuz when the Babylonians cracked the walls of Jerusalem. He knows what he wants to do. He's not without... Uh, the only thing is he doesn't know that the Babylonians were on the 10th day of Thomas and the 17th day of Thomas were the Romans. He doesn't know the Rashi, right? That he didn't figure out. But we thought we would be saved. But we have not been saved. We have not been saved. This is a reference, a veiled reference to the fact that the Jews counted on the Egyptians to come to their aid. The Jews had an alliance with Egypt, and that was what they relied upon. The Navi said, rely upon God, and they relied upon the Egyptians, and the Egyptians never came. Al-Shever Bas Ami Hoshborti. Hoshborti means I am broken over the fact that my people have been broken. The disaster of my people is my disaster. The Novi takes it personally. Again, that's uh, a trait of identity with the Jewish people. To be able to identify with the Jewish people. I always remember that as a little boy, my Zayda never allowed the house to be painted. My, my, my aunt had arranged that the house should be painted for Pesach in 1943. And the Jew came to paint the house for Pesach. I paint now. And she evidently had done it without my grandfather's permission. And when in the, she, uh, my grandfather lived with them after my grandmother died, she lived with my aunt and uncle. So when he came home uh, from shul, I happened to be there with my mother. So the painter came in and started setting everything up. And he looked around and he sees the painter is there. So he asked him, what's he doing there? So he said, my aunt... Uh, you know, my aunt had ordered it. So he said, well, there must be a mistake. And he went in the kitchen. He told my aunt, he said, Jews are burning in the ovens. We're not going to paint the house for Pesach. And then he went and he paid the painter the whole amount of money because he knew the Jew needed the money for Pesach. So he took care of both things. I remember that like today. He gave him the money. And he didn't paint the house. He's not going to paint the house. Jewish people are in trouble. He's not going to paint the house. But that's an you know, a, a feeling of identity. I don't, you know, you can't criticize Jews, but it's, you know, sometimes things are hard to look at. It's hard to see, you know, how people don't feel. People don't are not sensitive to what's happening. They're only they're worried about the, their petty things. But Novi says, I am broken by the disaster of my people. Kodarti, I have become blackened. My face is black. Shama hechizikosni, desolation holds me in its grasp. I am desolate. I have nowhere to go in the world. Famous pasuk here, Chav Beis, Hatzori ein begilad. Is there no balm in Gilad? Is there no medicine to be found? Is there no doctor for us? Is there no healer that can help us? Why do my people find no 
solace? Why do they have no healing? Why is my blow such a blow that it cannot be healed? Now, this is the in the King James Version and the translation of the Bible. Now, this is the famous uh, phrase, uh, balm in Gilead. There's no balm in Gilead. Which in the modern English they already translate, you know, there's no Tylenol in the medicine chest. <laughs> and the modern one is Azeon Tam, right? It's mamish without any sense. The, the King James Version is majesty. But, uh, you know, nobody likes 16th century English today. The, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? So the new one says, the Lord tends my sheep, I lack nothing. But the only thing you lack is sensitivity. So this is the famous phrase, Baum from Gilead. Alavai, would that my head would be a source of water that I could always weep. There's so many tears to be shed and I don't have any more tears than Ovi says. I'm exhausted of tears. Aini Makordima, my eye to be the source of tears. If that would be Voevke Yomam Valaila, I would weep day and night. I would weep without interruption as Chalalei Basami over the corpses of my people, over the death that has overcome my people. But the Navi says, I have no more tears. I'm all cried out. I've wept so much that there's nothing left. So I have nothing more to say. Alavai said, I could be like in the desert, the inn that's in the middle of the desert. In the desert, uh, there were inns that were located at oases in the desert. So even though everything around is pure desolation, everything around is uh, parched land and drought and thirst, but at the inn there is some solace. At the inn there is comfort. So the Novi says, I'll divide it, I would be like that, right? In the midst of this desert of trouble, if I could find a place where I could find some comfort. If I found them, I would forsake my people. What do I need the trouble? But he says there's such a strong idea that there's no place in the world for a Jew to escape. Even if he wants to escape. Even if he feels justified in escaping, that God won't let him escape. I have nowhere to run. I'll go away from them. Because they're the ones that did it. They are all adulterers. Meaning they're all unfaithful. So the idea of adultery here is not only the fact that they were sexually immoral and that that was the tenor of the society as, as it unfortunately was, but the forsaking of God and of the Jewish religion is seen as being... Adultery, because the relationship between God and Israel is the relationship of marriage. It is not to be seen as uh, it, it's described in Shirashirim in that fashion, that God, so to speak, is 
the, the man and the Jewish people are the women in the matter. And that it's a story of love, it's a story of a relationship, it's a story of loyalty one to another. So if a person is disloyal, so you're unfaithful, it's not victimless crime, which is a great phrase invented in Western society. Victimless crime, right? It's not a crime. But it is a crime because it's not just what the person does, it's what that act does to the other person. The destruction that is caused to the other person by the infidelity. So the, the Novi says, the relationship to God is like that. They're unfaithful to the Rebbeinu the Matzeres Bogdim, they're a convention of traitors. A convocation of traitors. Because again, the word here that's used is treachery. They're disloyal. They're guilty of treason. The, the imagery here is that a person's tongue is like a bow and it is like a bow. And the words that emanate from that tongue, that's the arrow. So Vayadrechu es l'shonom kashtom sheker means they have stepped on the bow. If you want to shoot a long way, so in the ancient world the great archers would lie on their back and they would push the bow taut with their feet because that was they were able to get a much greater tension than they were with their arms alone. And that was like the long distance artillery. So that's Vayadrechu, from the word Dorach, to step. They stepped on their bows, but their arrow was lies. Their arrow was falsehoods, Sheker. That became the way of life. The way of life became one of lies. To lie to each other, to lie to oneself. That's what Chazal say, that the worst of all punishments of a liar is that eventually he only lies to himself. He himself believes the lies. The And they attempted to become giborim, heroes, strong men, powerful, but without faith. A person without faith cannot be strong. Or rather, the strength cannot be productive. Nothing good will come of it. This is the idea of Avera Goreres Avera. One sin drags you down to another one. Just as Mitzvah Goreres Mitzvah. If you do good things, so you end up doing a lot of good things. You do bad things, so then you end up with a whole peckle of Averas, right? I always say that you come to shul in the morning, right? So you daven betzibur, you put money in the tzedakah box, you hear a word of Torah, you say tilim, you go. Before you know, you got a package, right? You got something out of it. You go other places, so you know, it's not just the one avera, right? There's 15 averas that come from it. Eat popcorn without a yarmulke. A lot of things happen before you know it. That's Miro'o El Ro'o Yotso. They went from one evil to another evil. They didn't even realize what happened to them. 
The Osi Lo Yodo Numashem. Now this is a phrase that we'll see at the end of the Haftorah. They didn't know me. What does it mean, they didn't know me? They haven't got a clue what I want from them. That's the tragedy. You don't know what he wants. You don't understand what God wants from you. And that's not as easy as people think. People think, you know, if, if they're observant, if they're this, they're that, so then, you know, they're doing it. Even the, Chazan, the, the Ramban says his famous statement, Novel Torah. There's a, a person who is a novel who is obnoxious, and he does everything that's written in the Torah. He doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't understand what God wants. He misses it. He misses the whole point. And that's a, uh, and the Novi especially here concentrates on human relationships one with another. On the Bein Odom Lachavero part of the Torah. Because the Bein Odom Lachavero part of the Torah is what has done us in over all the centuries. Somehow with God we can settle. Gitzach right? Yom Kippur, you can straighten a lot of things out with the Rebbein But a society of cruelty, a society of evil, a society of lies and infidelity can't straighten that out. They didn't know me. They don't know what I want. They don't understand. Because we'll see at the end of the Haftarah, then all he says that the tremendous person is Haskel Viadoosi, the one that knows me. The one that that intuitively knows what's supposed to happen correctly. I always tell over the story from the Chafetz Chaim that I heard here from, there was a, in our community, there was a, a man that was a nephew to the Chafetz Chaim who lived a very long life. He died, he was in his 90s. And he came one evening, he was, he was not a religious Jew. And he came one evening to speak to us. We had a social evening, I don't know if you remember, by, uh, by Stern, I think. And uh, he was telling stories. So he was, uh, he was raised uh, in an assimilated home in St. Petersburg, in Russia. This is the Chofetz Chaim's family. He was raised in an assimilated home in St. Petersburg, and he uh, received a, uh, a, a private education of the time. He was taking French lessons and music lessons, and, you know, he didn't know anything about being a Jew, practically. And then a terrible tragedy happened. There was a cholera epidemic, and both of his parents died. And he was left alone. And there was no relatives. So somebody in St. Petersburg knew that the Chofetz Chaim was a relative. So they took this kid from St. Petersburg and they brought him to Rodden, which is like itself a culture shock. And they brought him from this home, from this assimilated salon home in St. Petersburg, to the Chofetz Chaim's uh, wooden uh, little hovel in Rodden. So he said, so the Chofetz Chaim took care of him. Chofetz Chaim himself took care of him. So the Chofetz Chaim went and hired a French teacher to teach, to continue the kid with French lessons. And he got a hold of a music teacher to continue the kid with music lessons. So, listen to the story. So the people in Raden were up in arms. The Chofetz Chaim is not from. They're teaching French in the Chofetz Chaim's house. It's not from. So they came to the Chofetz Chaim to tell him that. 
So I want you to understand, you know, the world never changes. The characters change, but the world doesn't change. So they came to him, they told him, Rebbe, it's postnate. It's not nice in the house of the Chofetz Chaim in Raden, you know, that a boy should come in and teach French to a Jewish boy, French language. So the Chofetz Chaim answered them. He said, He said, Why do you, what's your problem if the angels in heaven are smiling? Ayasa. Kids an orphan. Comes and says, Well, what, I mean, what's your problem here? And the Chaim was on a different wavelength. He had an intuition. What would God have done in such a situation? That's what he said. The Malachim are smiling. That means that God approves of it. What would, what would Rabbi Nishalem have done? That's what he tried all of his life to try and guess what would God do in the situation. That's really our task. Our task in being human is how would God react? Because I want to imitate him. I am his creature. I'd like to be like him. Now that's what the Novi says. We all see lo yodor. They don't have a clue to me. That's the tragedy. That's the destruction. So everything else follows. Once you don't, you know, once you once you lost it on the radar screen, right? So then it doesn't make any difference where you're going. The good the good news, bad news joke, right? The pilot gets on the intercom and he says, "I have good news and bad news." Good news, he says, "We're ten minutes ahead of schedule." Bad news is that we're lost. <laughs> That's really a very good description of our world, of our society. We're ahead of schedule, but. We, we have no idea where we're going. Every man has to guard himself against his friend. The other guy's out to cheat me. I have to guard myself. I can't take anybody at his word. Terrible situation. Right? But we are aware of it, right? It's not, not far different from our situation. Person's word. Every man has to guard himself from his friend. And you cannot trust your brother. Right? Business is business. Money is money. Money destroys families. Not a blessing. I'm Baruch Hashem. I'm in the. My wife is young, but I feel you know. She hasn't got a gray hair in her shape. Or <laughs> now I'm all white. But I get, you know, but the $10 million offer from Ed McMahon in the mail, I don't even open it. They're right in the garbage. I don't want it. I really don't want it. I'm past it already. So there was a time, you know, I talked myself in the HLA, you know, I'd make $10 million. I'd give $9 million to the yeshiva. I get this, that, and today it's right in the garbage. Don't even want it anymore. Can't bring me any good. Cannot trust your own brother. What a play on words. Every brother is a cheater. He will cheat you. Uh, here he uh, makes reference to Novi, to Esau's Taina against Yaakov, for which we are still paying. Yaakov was 100% right and legal, but Ace felt that he was cheated. 
Is it for nothing that he's called Yaakov? He's cheated me twice. Yaakov means to cheat. And all my friends, everyone who is a friend, goes and slanders me. Bears tales. Can't be trusted. Yeah, we are going to divide this after in two because one cannot take it in one. The ish bireyu yehoselu. Each man makes fun, mocks, but it means to cheat. When you cheat somebody, you mock him. An idiot. You know, he lets himself be cheated. One of my I always um, almost make a vow. I don't, don't do it, but I almost make a vow to myself that I'm never going to go to a car dealer to buy a car. Because whenever I buy a car, no matter what, I walk out and I feel I was cheated. No matter what price. Because the, it's just just the way it works. Yeah, he's letting me have it. Oh, this extra and this and this. And he's going to give me this. And he's going to give me that. I walk out, I'm, I can, you know, I feel like, like vomiting. That's your Hoselu. They make fun of you. They've mocked you. They've mocked your integrity. The MS lo yadaberu. And they cannot speak truthfully. There are no words of truth that they can say. Lindu lishonam da ber sheker. They have trained their tongues to speak falsely that they cannot even tell the truth when it is in their best interest to tell the truth. Sometimes you know, we call that a pathological liar, but the Novi doesn't give in to uh, psychological excuses. Lindu Lishonam, they have trained themselves. Their tongue is trained that it doesn't say the truth. It's against the law to tell the truth. Look at the, uh, the, uh, the in the United States we call the you know truth in lending, truth in advertising bills. You know they're telling you in advance that it's a lie. Everything it says on the first side of the page is a lie because you got to turn around and see all the things they have to print in little print in fading ink on the second part of the page to tell you that everything was on the first part of the page isn't true. They're not responsible for it, you know. Like if you were a super saver, you know, if you go Saturday night with your mother-in-law at 11.30 at night with, a, with one bag, right, corner, you know, they got three seats for you like that. It's wrong. It's wrong. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to say $99 to Miami and you only in the little prints you have six seats like that and every the other regular price is $400. You're not allowed to do that. But we expect it. We expect it. We're convinced that that's the way it's supposed to be. And if you get away with it, then you're a good businessman. That we convince ourselves of that. That's a terrible thing. That's lindu lishonam daber sheker. To train yourself to speak falsehoods. So to train yourself in a whole society to do that. We pay a big price for that. I knew Rashi Yeshiva that they would look over the, uh, the uh, brochures of the Yeshiva. I remember in uh, the Chicago Yeshiva 1, we had to have a catalog printed. We were going to get credits from the university, Agansa Mysa. So they had to, they printed a catalog. So in the catalog, the uh, public relations man that printed it, 
So then we, in our yeshiva, Kanayin O'Hara, then there was like 330 boys in the base manager. We had a big yeshiva. We had 35, 38 boys in every shir. So he wrote close to 500 students. That's, uh, you know, it's close. 330 is closer to 500 than to zero. Not bad. I remember the Rabbi Fassman and the other ones, they didn't let it be printed. They pulled it. And Yeshiva Kivan say, you say, over 300, you want to say something. Can't say close to 500. Not true. It stands against everything that the Yeshiva is supposed to be. So that's the idea of Limdu Lishonam Daber Sheker. Have Nilu. Have to do things crooked. Nilu. They worked hard at it. It's just that you have to work hard to be a cheater. You have to many times work harder to be a cheater than to do it straight. In the uh, early history of the yeshiva, we caught uh, three young men who had cheated on an exam. And, well, and they had cheated an exam. I mean, how they did it, you know, they, they were able to get a hold of somebody's key and make a copy of the key, and they came in like 2 in the morning, and they figured out the combination to the safe, and they got it right. So I threw the three guys out of the yeshiva. If you can, you can get a 30 in the yeshiva, and we'll keep you. Well, in fact, once you're in, you're in. But if you cheat, you're out immediately. All three of them have remained our friends still today. It was the best thing that ever happened to them. All three of them say that. In fact, we helped place them, etc. But they were out. So I said to them, look at the effort that you put into this. You know, if you would have put the effort into study, you would have got an A. This thing took you 12 hours to put together, and you had to stay up nights and go find key. I'm like, what are you, crazy? J.M. in the A.M. or Barrel Wine, uh, about to conclude, and we'll get to the last few minutes of it after our newscast, about to conclude the first part of his lecture series on the uh, Tisha B'Av Haftorahs. And as usual, this was a good one. They're all good. And Barrel Wine has been, uh, again... Uh, we've been privileged to present his lectures during our nine days format. Information about all of his lectures, 1-800-499-WEIN or RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com for all the information. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. It's Erev Shabbos Chazon, Parshas Dvarim, candle lighting at 8 p.m. in this area. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 72 degrees, mostly sunny, a high of 86, clear tonight, low 69, mostly sunny for tomorrow. High temperature, 85 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 95. Our friends up at Camp Masora, Guilford, New York, getting ready for a Shabbos Chazon. They're at 51, heading up to 80 under mostly sunny skies. We're at 72 here in Jersey City. Looks like... um a pretty nice Shabbos weather-wise. It does look like uh, there'll be some thunderstorms on Tisha B'Av and temperatures in the 90s. They're talking about temperatures in the Well, of course, it's Tisha B'Av. Why wouldn't there be temperatures in the 90s? We'll go through some of the events going on. There are many things happening. And, of course, our weekly update, Malcolm Holmline, will join us at 740 this morning on this era of Shabbos Chazon here at JM. In the AM, it's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, 
Rockland County, 91.9 in the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Golly, it's all in the background. Reminder, Matis Weingast presents JM Sunday this coming Sunday. No joke. Matis is not even taking off Tishabov. Uh, he'll be doing a live presentation of JM Sunday with appropriate material for a Tishabov morning. That's between 7 and 9 a.m. On our stream, on the NSN app, etc., etc. So make sure to be tuned in. And um, Monday... 6 a.m. We get back into our regular format. Monday, 6 a.m. We get back into our regular format here at JM in the AM. And I know a lot of people are looking forward to it. That's for sure. Golly, it's on the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. Then we'll go through that. Once we finish by Wine's uh, part one of his lecture series on the Haftorahs, we'll get to some of the events happening in our community. Over to Shabab. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, seven, uh, 2 p.m. newscast next to Jamie. Shashtayim, Khan Shibel Karmi Mansour, Imasha Koreach Shab. Misada Bitachon, Hesir Alayla Shelet, Im Kituv Neged Yalon, Untanyahu, Shehutsav Al Kivrosh, El Halal Tsukaitan, Limad Zicholi Vracha. Katavenu, Yonatan Bnea. Mishpachto Shelly Bixari Shemala Matsevagam, Chmotechav, Lachar Shelo Ushala, Lassot Ken, Echlitu Rav, Lassim Shelet, Im Kituv, Lilik Nerag, Mishmerit, Shehosham, Mishala, Binamin, Tanyahu Bibi, שר הביטחון משה יעלון בוגי. אמש הסיר משרד הביטחון את השלט לאחר שהתקבל האישור מהמועצה הציבורית להנצחת החייל. לדברי המשרד, השלט הוסר בעקבות פניות של משפחות שכולות וחיובר על תקנות בתי הקברות הצבאיים האוסרים פגיעה בכבוד הזולת וברגשותיו וביטויים בעלי אופי פוליטי בכיתוב האישי על הקבר. ממשפחת מת נמסר בתגובה אנשי משרד הביטחון כגנבים בלילה עקרו את השלט מבלי להודיע למשפחה. כבר חודשים ארוכים אנו מנהלים דיאלוג שקט עם מערכת הביטחון על מנת להוסיף את שמות אחיו שלי לכיתוב על מצבתו, אך המערכת בוחרת להתעמר בנו במקום לעזור לנו. אין סיבה שאחיו לא יהיו רשומים על מצבתו לצד הוריו. דברי אם המשפחה, סמדר. ראש ממשלת טורקיה אומר, נמשיך במבצע נגד הטרור. כתבתנו נועם דהן. דבוטולו הודיע כי משטרת טורקיה עצרה היום כמעט 300 בני אדם, ביניהם 37 זרים, בהחשד שישתייכו לדאעש או לארגוני לוחמה כורדים. המעצרים לוו בתקיפות יעדים של דאעש בסמוך לגבולים סוריה. התקיפות והמבצע מגיעים לאחר פיגוע שאירע השבוע בטורקיה, שבו נהרגו למעלה מ-30 בני אדם. נשיא ארצות הברית ברק אובמה הגיב על תקרית הירי שאירעה הלילה בבית קולנוע בלואיזיאנה ואמר מחשבותינו ותפילותינו עם תושבי העיר לפייט. בהודעת הבית הלבן נכתב כי אובמה ביקש עדכונים על מצב שבעת הפצועים ועל חקירת התקרית. שני בני אדם נרצחו בירי הלילה וחמוש שם קץ לחייו. לפי שעה לא ברור מה היה המניע למעשה. ביוון הורגשה לפני שעה קלה רעידת אדמה בעוצמה 5.2 דרגות בסולם ריכטר. מוקד הרעש היה מערבית לעיר רודוס. לא דווח על נזק או על נפגעים. נערה בת 16 התעלפה במהלך טיול בנחל ג'ילבון ברמת הגולן. צוותים של יחידת חילוץ גולן פינו אותה באלונקה לבית החולים זיו בצפת כשהיא במצב יציב. כתבנו גיא ורון מוסר כי בבית החולים ביקשו מהציבור להימנע מטיולים היום בשל עומס החום הכבד. תחזית מזג האוויר, היום כאמור התחממות, אך מחר תהיה הקלה בעומס החום. ולסיום, לקראת תשעה באב מציג מוזיאון ארצות המקרא בירושלים את עותק מגילת איכה. 
הקדום ביותר שנמצא אי פעם, שאותר בחפירות במערות קומראן ליד ים המלח. כתבנו מיכאל שמש. זוהי הפעם הראשונה שהמגילה שנכתבה לפני יותר מאלפיים שנה ונמצאה לפני כשישים שנה מוצגת לקהל הרחב. אפשר לראותה עד יום ראשון בערב, מוצאי צום תשעה באב. מגילת איכה נקראת בבתי הכנסת כאשר הקהל יושב על הרצפה לאות אבל. המגילה מורכבת מחמש קינות המתארות את חורבן ירושלים. אלה החדשות שעורכת טל יחזקאלי, בצוות נווה וייס ורן לויה. J.M. in the A.M. at four minutes after seven o'clock, Erev Shabbos Chazon, our final day of uh, being treated and inspired by the lectures of Iberal Wine. Uh, we're doing his series on the Haftorahs of Tisha B'Av. This is the uh, last few minutes of part one as we conclude this part of Iberal Wine's lecture on Tisha B'Av here at J.M. in the A.M. Each man makes fun, mocks, but it means to cheat. When you cheat somebody, you mock him. An idiot. You know, he lets himself be cheated. One of my... I, I always um, almost make a vow. I don't, don't do it, but I almost make a vow to myself that I'm never going to go to a car dealer to buy a car. Because whenever I buy a car, no matter what, I walk out and I feel I was cheated. No matter what price. Because the, it's just, just the way it works. Yeah, he's letting me have it. Oh, this extra and this and this, and he's going to give me this, and he's going to give me that. No, I walk out, I'm, I can, you know, I feel like, like vomiting. That's your Hoseilu. They make fun of you. They've mocked you. They've mocked your integrity. The MS Loya Daberu. And they cannot speak truthfully. There are no words of truth that they can say. They have trained their tongues to speak falsely that they cannot even tell the truth when it is in their best interest to tell the truth. Sometimes you know, we call that a pathological liar, that the Novi doesn't give in to uh, psychological excuses. They have trained themselves. Their tongue is trained that it doesn't say the truth. It's against the law to tell the truth. Look at the, uh, the, uh, the, in the United States, we call the, you know, truth in lending, truth in advertising bills. You know, they're telling you in advance that it's a lie. Everything it says on the first side of the page is a lie because you've got to turn around and see all the things they have to print in little print, in fading ink, on the second part of the page, to tell you that everything was on the first part of the page isn't true. They're not responsible for it, you know. Like if you were a super saver, you know, if you go Saturday night with your mother-in-law at 11.30 at night with, a, with one bag, right, Gordon, you know, they got three sheets for you, like that. It's wrong. It's wrong. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to do it. You're not allowed to say, $99 to Miami, and you only, in the little print, you have six seats like that, and every the other regular price is $400. You're not allowed to do that. But we expect it. We expect it. We're convinced that that's the way it's supposed to be. And if you get away with it, then you're a good businessman. That we convince ourselves of that. That's a terrible thing. That's lindu l'shonam daber sheker. To train yourself to speak falsehoods. So to train yourself in a whole society to do that. We pay a big price for that. 
I knew Rashi Yeshiva that they would look over the uh, the uh, brochures of the Yeshiva. I remember in the Chicago Yeshiva one, we had to have a catalog printed. We were going to get credits from the university, Agansa Meisa. So they had to they printed a catalog. So in the catalog, the uh, public relations man that printed it. So then we in our Yeshiva Kanaino Hard End there was like 330 boys in the base Medrash. We had a big Yeshiva. At 35, 38 boys in every year. So he wrote close to 500 students. That's, uh, you know, it's close. 330 is closer to 500 than to zero. Not bad. I remember they, Rabbi Fassman and the other ones, they didn't let it be printed. They pulled it. Yeshiva Kivan say, you say, over 300, you want to say something. Can't say close to 500. Not true. It stands against everything that the yeshiva is supposed to be. So that's the idea of Lindu Lishonam Daber Sheker. Have Nilu. Have to do things crooked. Nilu. They worked hard at it. It's just that you have to work hard to be a cheater. You have to many times work harder to be a cheater than to do it straight. In the uh, early history of the yeshiva, we caught uh, three young men who had cheated on an exam. And, well, and they had cheated on an exam. I mean, how they did it, you know, they, they were able to get a hold of somebody's key and make a copy of the key, and they came in like 2 in the morning, and they figured out the combination to the safe, and they got it right side through with three guys out of the yeshiva. If you can, you can get a 30 in the yeshiva, and we'll keep you. Well, in fact, once you're in, you're in. But if you cheat, you're out immediately. All three of them have remained our friends till today. It was the best thing that ever happened to them. All three of them say that. In fact, we helped place them, etc. But they were out. So I said to them, look at the effort that you put into this. You know, if you would have put the effort into study, you would have got an A. This thing took you 12 hours to put together. You had to stay up nights and go find key. I'm what are you, crazy? Look at all the work you put into it. Why didn't you put the way into study the three hours, right? You get the A. It wasn't such a hard test. So that's what the Novi says. Have nilu. You worked hard to be that perverse, to do it crooked. Doesn't come easy. Crime, you know, I think the, uh, the guys that run the mafia could probably run, uh, you know, American Airlines all. Maybe they do. I mean, they can, uh, they're, they're putting a good hard day's work. All the schemes to beat the government, all the nefarious things that exist in the world. That's, uh, there's plenty of hard work. There's plenty of kishrin. There's plenty of genius in it. Misplaced, the Novi says. Shiv besoch mirma. You have sunk, you have dwell in the midst of cheating. You have sunk so low that that's your way of life. And therefore, everything you do is that way, the Novi says. So their cheating is that they refuse to know me because they are so, they are so wild in their behavior, they're so perverse, they're so crooked that they refuse to reckon with me. 
They refuse to know me. They refuse to realize that I'm not going to let them get away with it. The Novi here uh, really uh, minces no words. He pulls no punches. He says, that's what happened. That's the Corbin. If that's the Corbin, so okay, so then that's what's going to happen. I have, the Novi says, I have no easy, uh, I have no easy way out. I have no easy way to settle it with them. And therefore, uh, once this matter is expiated, so then we'll come and talk to them again. But right now, I can't do anything. Right now, their fate is sealed. The doom is upon them. This concludes this lecture. Jam in the AM. Roy Burlwine, another brilliant lecture. His uh, analysis of all the Tishabov themes, including this, the Haftoros, is simply remarkable. Uh, thank you, Rabbi Wine, and we'll conclude... Um, our nine days format with the right wine with more about the Haftaras of Tishabov coming up. JM and the AM at 13 minutes after 7 o'clock. Weekly update less than a half hour away as we uh, will discuss with Malcolm Honline the events of this week and delve more into everything that's been happening over the last few days. That just reminded me of another thing to discuss with him that's going to make the list right now. Um, so that's number one. That's coming up. Uh, Rabbi Yudin from Israel. Torah portion of the Devarim Shabbos Chazon. Uh, coming up at 8.15 this morning. We will get to speak to Charlie Harari. Charlie will again lead <laughs> a, a time slot that continues to baffle me uh, with all my decades in the radio industry. It still baffles me how many thousands of people tune in uh, on all these different sites, including ours, to be part of Charlie Harari's uh, presentation at the very end of Tisha B'Av between 7 and 9 p.m. this coming Sunday, Eastern Time. We will speak to him about that coming up in the 8 o'clock hour as well before we wrap things up here at JM in the AM. Uh, a lot of events going on over at Tisha B'Av, as you know. A lot of things happening. And um, uh, 2 o'clock on, fr- on on Sunday, we'll be davening Mincha at the Isaiah Wall. Uh, that's on 1st Avenue across the street from the United Nations between 42nd and 43rd Street. Bring your towels and tefillin. You are invited, of course, to join us. Uh, it's led by uh, Amcha. Rabbi Weiss, Glenn Richter, Triple SJ, a lot of great organizations that for decades have used Tisha B'Av Mincha as a time to highlight the uh, Jewish communities and um, and people who are in danger uh, on this globe, whether in Israel or in the diaspora. So on this, the 10th anniversary coming up of the uh, expulsion from uh, from Gaza, from Gush Katif, um, and with everything happening in uh, in the United Nations, in Congress, in all these different uh, prominent world capitals regarding the um, activities of uh, the Iranian nation, uh, we gather at the uh, UN, across the street from the UN, on First Avenue between 42nd and 43rd Streets, this coming Sunday, Tisha B'Av at 2 p.m. Again, br- please bring your talis and tefillin. I hope to see you there. Um, the majority of the time that we plan on being there, we are there. Uh, sometimes things happen at the last minute, but the majority of the time, there is great representation from the Mizrahi, Apollo Mizrahi of the east side. And we are planning on being there Sunday, and the Bezrat Hashem we will be, and hope to see everybody there. Uh, there are many Tisha B'Av programs, as we've been pointing out, that are going on throughout the community. Uh, again, we acknowledge the... Uh, uh, what we uh, focused on yesterday, the um, the um, Kleinman Holocaust Education Center is presenting this Tisha B'Av program uh, entitled Morning to Morning, M-O-U-R-N-M-O-R-N, Morning to Morning, a special exhibit 
a special program with Harry Pesach Krohn and U.S. Army Sergeant Seymour Kap- Kaplan on the liberation of Dachau, a video premiere from the KHEC, the uh, Kleinman uh, Holocaust Education Center. It's all happening this coming Sunday on Tishabov, starting at 2.30 at a Terrace Golda, which is 1362 50th Street in Brooklyn, New York. The exhibit viewing times for women, 1.30 until 2.30, for men, 4.30 until 5.30. And again, the program starts at 2.30 p.m. Information, you can go to their website, kfhec.org, kfhec.org, has all that information. Uh, we mentioned Charlie Harari. He'll be doing the uh, Project Inspire uh, End of Tisha B'Av, uh, program uh, on the uh, air. You can catch it on uh, jmnam.org, nachomsigl.com, the NSN app that starts at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on our stream on Tisha B'Av itself, and we'll have a chance to speak with Charlie later on. I also want to remind everybody that, again, the Chavetz Chaim Heritage Foundation has... Um, prepared an incredible presentation for Tisha B'Av. They're calling it the Tisha B'Av Worldwide Event 5775. This time it's entitled The Power to Yield. The Power to Yield. This Tisha B'Av, they are anticipating 50,000 Jews in 700 gatherings around the world watching this presentation. There'll be 700 gatherings. That's why we cannot sit here and list all the gatherings. But if you go online, if you go online to uh, powerofspeech.org, powerofspeech.org, you could find it in your neighborhood. The the program includes rabbinic uh, personalities like Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky, Rav Gavriel Sassoon, Rav Yisrael Reisman, Diane Yonason Abraham, Rav Zachariah Wallerstein, Rav Ephraim Elio Shapiro, Rav Eli Mansour, Dr. David Lieberman. They are all pr- participating in this um in this program so power to yield it's a uh Chaim heritage foundation event it's going to be uh, featuring uh it's going to be presented in over 700 locations around the world and again for information it's uh, powerofspeech.org there is definitely a uh a presentation near you i can almost bet that there's a presentation near you powerofspeech.org and you'll be able to um to check out the uh, the um, uh, presentation and the locations, that's the word, the locations that it's being shown around the world. All right, powerofspeech.org. Friday, Erev Shabbos, J.M. in the A.M., Parshas Dvarim, Shabbos Chazon, candle lighting at 8 o'clock. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Mostly sunny, a high of 86. Uh, looks like pretty good weather over Shabbos, a hot Tishabov, and maybe some thunderstorms on Tishabov. Uh, Rabbi Beryl Wine, his, um, well, I guess what might end up being his final lecture for us for this nine days season, uh, is the second part of the Haftorahs of Tishabov. Rabbi Beryl Wine, information at 1-800-499-WEIN or RabbiWine.com. The Haftorahs of Tishabov, part two, Rabbi Beryl Wine at JM in the AM. The Navi says, Mi'itneini ba'midbor melon orchim. Mi'itneini means alavai. Would that God would place me in the desert, and I would be like an oasis. Melon orchim is an inn, an oasis. The idea of a desert 
one of the great ideas that we have uh, throughout the Tanakh. A desert me, it's a, it's a feeling that all of us have, that it, I would have a uh, terrific uh, business if I wouldn't have workers, if I could do it all myself. Or it would be a terrific society, a terrific school, or what, whatever, whatever organization we want to think of, uh, it's complicated by the fact that it's not a desert. It's complicated by the fact that there's a society that we have to contend with, and in that society are people and events uh, that are not necessarily uh, to our liking, and who uh, are a deterrent, they're a drag. They make things worse. So the Novi says, I'll avoid it, I could escape from the Jewish people and I could go out to the desert. In the desert I would be like our father Abraham, who uh, at the beginning of time uh, ran this great inn, Malone Orchim. Guests came and he could do whatever he wanted. When you have a Jewish people, when you have the whole people together, so then... Uh, there's baggage. Uh, there are problems. It's not that simple. Not that easy. The Ezvoes Ami, I will forsake my people. The Elchomeitom, and I will go away from them. Kikuomenoafim, all of them are immoral, unfaithful. That's the word Menoafim, that's the word for adulteress. But it means not only adulterous in the physical sense, it has many connotations here, but basically it's the unfaithfulness to God, the unfaithfulness to, uh, to tradition, and it's also the sexual immorality which was rampant. And it also was a statement that Kulam Menafim, everybody, he doesn't mean everybody, but he means it was tolerated. It's accepted in society. It is not something that is considered reprehensible. It's taken for granted. It's allowed. And therefore, that's why it says, they are all adulterers, because the ones who tolerate it eventually are as guilty in society as the ones that participate. Because without the societal approval, it could not reach the levels that it did. Atzeres bogdim. Atzeres means a gathering, a group of people who are traitors, who are treacherous. So traitors means traitors to their spouses, uh, traitors to society, traitors again to the ideals, uh, ideas and ideals of the Jewish people. So this we discussed before, that they have trained their tongues, kashtom uh, sheker, to be like a bow that shoots arrows of lies. They have developed that, they, that that's accepted, a little like the uh, commercial society of the world that we live in of uh, false advertising and false representations. So we become immune to falsehood because we accept, we accept it and we expect it and it's part of us. Velo le'amuna govru And true people 
true people, faithful people, Govrubarits, they did not do well in this world, the Navi says. They're not popular. They're not strong. They're not the heroes. But those who are false, they are the ones who are heroes. I think one of the uh, statements regarding our society generally is the lack of true heroes. Most heroes in American society are uh, sports figures or other such people who uh, are uh, people who have made a great deal of money and not necessarily in a, uh, in a legitimate fashion, in a moral fashion. They're the heroes of society. And uh, part of the undoing, for instance, of uh, the, uh, the, uh, the poorer class in the United States and of the minorities, etc., is that their heroes are false heroes. They're not realistic. You have uh, 400 possible positions to be a ball player in the National Basketball Association, and you have 10 million uh, children playing in the schoolyards for the 400 positions not realistic. The, uh, the fact that righteous, honest, good people not only are not held in esteem, but they are ridiculed. Uh, they are held to be uh, wildly impractical people, people who have nothing to teach us. So that's what happened to the Jewish people also. For a long time in Jewish life, in the exile, the Jewish people, even though they may not have lived up to their ideals, but they all, their heroes were queer to them. In our time, that has again become blurred in a great section of the Jewish people. Who would we really like to be? So that's the idea here. Lola Amuno Govrubarts. Kime Ro'o El Ro'o Yotso'u. From one evil, they stagger to the next evil. Uh, the uh, imagery here is of a drunk going from bar to bar. Once having embarked upon this road, so from one evil to the next evil they went. And the uh, originally they could not have imagined themselves uh, at their final station. Couldn't imagine what they would look like at the end. But when you go from one evil to the next evil, so eventually you arrive at the final evil, the ultimate evil. The Osi Lo Yado Numashem. This we will see later at the conclusion of the, uh, of the Novi's words that the Novi considers knowledge of what God says, of what God wants, to be of, of primary importance. To know what God wants. And there are many people who, uh, who are very far off the mark. And that's the idea that the Ramban says in Chumash that a person can be a novel birshus ha-Torah. A person can be observant. He can be within the parameters of Torah and yet he is an obscene, obnoxious, evil person because he hasn't got any identification with what God really wants. Ishmeru, Hishameru. 
Every man has to guard himself against his friend. No one can trust anyone. And no one can trust the brother. Because every brother is a cheater. Okov Yaakov cheats. It's expected. It's part of the... Again, the psyche of the relationship is part of the society. The Cholreya and every friend, Rochil Yahalov, walks around and spreads slander about you, attempts to undermine you, attempts to destroy you. Each man, again, Yehoselu, he cheats. Yehoselu means... Uh, he makes fun of the other person. He cheats him. Uh, he takes advantage of him. He exposes him as a fool, as naive. And they refuse to speak the truth. They again have trained their tongues to speak evil, to speak falsely. They have trained themselves. Ha'ave milu. And they wanted to go crooked. They attempted. They worked hard at it. So again, the Novi here brings out the fact that many times in the effort and the uh, creativity and the sacrifice required to do something wrong is as great, if not greater, as it would be to do it right. But people want to do things wrong. Somehow they find that to be uh, much more satisfying. There was an incident not long ago, a number of years ago that uh, students stole uh, regents' exams and passed them out, etc. So the effort that went into it, if they would have sat down and studied for the two hours or three hours, you didn't have to do that. This took days of planning, risks, expenses, everything. But everybody felt that the investment was worth it. Whereas uh, to do it the straight way, so to speak, to spend the time and the effort and the creativity and study, so that uh, that's not acceptable. That's not that's not the way to do things. That's what that's what the Novi means. Have nilu. They worked hard to obtain this level of perverseness. They worked hard to make it crooked. It was a, uh, a matter that required effort, and they followed through with it. So the, he describes that the Jewish people sank into a dishonest society because they sat amongst dishonesty for so long that they just simply, it's like you sit in, uh, in garbage so after a while you smell. So they sat in a society that was so bad that that eventually they did, could not know me. They refused to know me because of their own trickeries, because of their own perverseness, because they trained themselves in that society. 
we see in our society also it's very hard to crawl out of a uh, of a situation that becomes that becomes your normalcy a whole spate of uh, books and uh, movies and plays about people who are involved in the mafia or involved in crime generally and they want to get away from it and they can never get out because it has become so all-encompassing that there's no way to break the ties. And that's the, really the Greek tragedy of life, is that we are bound by bonds that we have ourselves constructed. And we've ourselves done all of these things. So since they were willing to dwell in a society of iniquity, so therefore their iniquity caused them that they no longer know me. How can they have any relationship to me? if they're determined to live in such a society. This uh, uh, strong and painful indictment of the Jewish people, of their behavior, uh, is reflected uh, in all the books of Musser and in all the works that we read throughout the exile of the Jewish people. That God... Uh, is far from us because we have moved so far from him. You don't, you can't expect to uh, to find honesty in a dishonest society. You're looking in the wrong place. Therefore, the Lord God says, "I am going to take the Jewish people from Sorfam is I'm going to refine them. I'm going to anneal them in the fire. The word soref is to burn off the dross. When you want to have pure silver, pure gold, to the extent that you can have it, uh, so you have to burn off the alloy. You have to burn off the, uh, the other metals that are contained therein. That's Tzorfam. I'm going to put them through the test of fire. Uvechantim, and they will be tested. A long test for the Jewish people. Thousands of years. It's a, a difficult exam. What else can I do, God says. I don't have no choice. Well, how else can I do it? God, so to speak, appeals to the Jewish people. Tell me how else to do it. I tried it so many different ways. I tried it to be, to be good. I tried it with Nevi'im. I tried it with the Vedas. What else can I do? What gains your attention? We see that, uh, God forbid, but we see that troubles always gain the attention of people. So, that's what the Novi says in God's name. What else can I do regarding my people? How else can I treat them? Their tongue is a sharpened arrow. Their tongue can kill. You know the famous uh, expression that children say that sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. But we know that that is not true. We know that words are far more lethal than even sticks and stones. Great damage can be done in life by words. So the Novi says, their tongue has become a lethal arrow, an arrow that kills, shochet, that shechts, that kills, that slaughters. 
Mirmodiber. They speak only dishonest words. Shalom Esra'elu Yadaber. He speaks to his friend words of peace. Good words, nice words. Uvekirbo Yosin Orbo. And in his heart, he is planning the ambush that will destroy his friend. The rabbis always said that the heart of a person has to somehow be uh, in line with what he says. The rabbis say, Rashi quotes it, that one of the compliments regarding the brothers of Joseph, it says, They could not speak words of peace with him. So our rabbis say, even though that's a negative thing, there's a positive quality to it. They were not hypocritical. They hated him, so they didn't, they didn't tell him, uh, you're a great guy. And in their hearts did they hate him. Their mouth and their hearts were at least the same. So you knew where you stood. So uh, hypocrisy here of talking words of peace while preparing for war, of, of talking friendship and uh, planning the ambush, uh, that is, uh, that deceit is the ultimate immorality. So God says, on them, this is a rhetorical question, to a people like this, shall I not come and punish them? Shall I not demand and accounting for their behavior. In A people, a nation such as this, shall not my soul find revenge for their behavior, for their attitudes. So again, the, what makes all of this uh, stronger, uh, worse, uh, much more difficult, is the fact that uh, God gave the Jewish people the Torah. And uh, God expects, and even today, he expects a higher standard of behavior from us. It's interesting that even in the world, the world also expects a higher standard of behavior from us. And that's part of the uh, disproportionate double standard which is applied to the state of Israel. Uh, someone phrased it very well that the, uh, the non-Jewish world expects the Jews to be the true Christians. But the world does expect it of us. The world does expect a higher standard. And we give them a higher standard. We are willing to do so. But we do live to a higher standard. But God, in his measurement of us, in his demands upon us, so then if we don't live up to it, so then uh, God's anger is kindled against the Jewish people. So the Novi, now the Novi uh, sees the Churban in front of his eyes. He sees uh, the terrible events. The prophet uh, Yermio, uh, in fact, he mentions it. Uh, he says, I am the person that saw it. 
The other prophets, and the, the, the Medrash says here, the other prophets only predicted it, so they knew what was going to happen. But there's a great difference, my friends, in life who know that something's going to happen and actually witness it. They actually have to live through it. And the Novi therefore says, I, more than any of the other prophets, I'm the unlucky one, because I am the one who saw it happen, who is the living witness to it. Regarding the great mountains of Israel, the hills, I will now raise my voice in weeping and in Nehi is moaning a song, an elegy, a song of, of weeping and of sadness. So this is the measure for measure, the meter connected meter, because on the hills and mountains of Israel is where the Jews worshipped Avodah Zarah. So the mountains were destroyed. The beauty was removed. Later at the time of the second temple, the mountain was actually lowered. It was physically lowered. Removed from its exalted status. Valnaus midbor kino, and regarding the oases that existed in the desert, I will sit and mourn, because the churban that the uh, enemies of Israel brought to the country is such that nothing is left. He describes it in terms of a great locust that consumes everything in front of it so that nothing is left. Even the oases in the desert are destroyed. A little like uh, Kuwait looks. Right? Nothing is left. I mean, if you just think of the enormity of, uh, of the destruction. So the poor Emmer will have to spend some $180 billion that he has stored all over the world, but that doesn't in any way mitigate the destruction that occurred. That's what the Novi describes here. The country, the oases, the mountains, the roads are forlorn. There is no traveler that passes. Nobody walks. Nobody goes anywhere. There's no travel. No longer is heard. In the countryside, the sounds of the cattle, meaning the sounds of domestic agricultural life. It has all been quieted. The birds of heaven, the animals of the earth, have wandered away. Holochu have gone their own way. They are no longer here. They're no longer present. They're gone. So the, uh, the history of the Jewish people in the land of Israel is that for hundreds, for well over a thousand years, the country was barren. There were no animals. There were no birds. There was nothing. Just stones, sand, emptiness. The Ramban says that that was part of God's plan, is that no one came to inhabit the country. All the Palestinians who are there now all came after the Jews. If you read Joan Peters' book from time immemorial, 
So she documents there how the entire uh, Arab immigration into Palestine is in the last hundred years. When the Jews developed the country. But the country was empty. No population. And when there are no human beings, there are no animals, nothing. A scene of ultimate desolation. So Jerusalem was mounds, you know, like tells, uh, archaeological digs, just mounds of rubble. Gal is like a, uh, a mound, a monument, a bunch of stones piled one on top of the other. Gal aid. Ma'ontanim, it became the home of jackals, of wild animals who live in the desert, who live where no one else lives. It's a, uh, tanim is a, uh, we translate it as a jackal, it's a type of a desert dog. It's a wild creature that lives off of rodents. It's a uh, fierce predator. But it does not live anywhere where there's civilization. It lives in the wild. Ves Ore Yehuda Etein Shmoma and the cities of Judah that previously were so populous and now have become desolate, isolated, alone. Nibli Yoshev. With no one there. No one that's present. Now the Novi moves to another topic. Famous Sukim here in the Novi. From here to the conclusion of the Aftorah are some of the most uh, well-known and famous and strongest Sukim in all of Tanakh. I mentioned to you before this Aftorah is enormously powerful. It's enormously sad. That's why they laid it all on on Tishabah. The Aftorah is so strong we don't read Eicha in the morning. This Haftorah sums up everything there is to say in the Book of Lamentations. It's almost as though if we had this Haftorah plus Eicha, that would be too much to bear. Where can you find the wise man that understands what's happening here? Rabbi Beryl Wine, yet another amazing lecture. We are spending Friday morning, our final uh, nine days format day here at JMNAM, with Rabbi Wine's lectures on the Haftorahs of Tishabav. Tishabav, of course, is Sunday, begins tomorrow night, hopefully for the last time. And um, Monday, we're back into our regular format here at JMNAM. Matis will be on on Sunday, JM Sunday, starting at 7 a.m., a live presentation with appropriate programming for Tishabav morning. You'll be able to take advantage of that. And we'll go through some of the other events that are happening on Tisha B'Av, including some of the material we'll be presenting uh, later on in the show here at JMNAM. Erev Shabbos Parshas Dvarim. It's Erev Shabbos Chazon. Candle lighting at 8 p.m. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Big shout-out to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to recommend to their hundreds of thousands of readers us as a great uh, audio source for... Uh, News and entertainment and information. Uh, so a big shout out to JewishWorldview.com 
Very anxious, of course, to get to Malcolm Honeline in our weekly update. And that's what we'll do right now. Malcolm Honeline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honeline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, thank you. Nice, quiet week. You know, not much going on. <laughs> and hey. certainly in the Tisha B'Av spirit. A nice, quiet week. It's funny. I remember years ago we would discuss the lull in the news cycle at the end of July, beginning of August, and it seemed to be that way. But then at some point, somewhere in the last few years, it seems that that has completely changed, and every single yeah, day... like 1955. Yeah, and every single day there's more and more news to discuss. All right, a couple of things before we move on to specific questions about um, uh, what's happening with the Iran deal. Uh, first of all, I, I, I would assume that it would be unfair of me to ask you any specific questions on this topic. Uh, but let's just say, with all the news coming out and with all the news that's not coming out, uh, you and everyone else, of course, continue to pray that, in fact, uh, Jonathan Pollard will soon be released. And more than that, I would assume you would say there's no reason to discuss in this forum. There's no reason to discuss it right now, except that people should continue not only to daven for his release, and to write letters on his behalf. We can't take anything for granted. The reason there's been a lot of speculation is because somebody in the Department of Justice made a reference to the November dateline, which is the 30th anniversary of his release, and the day when the parole board is due to give a ruling. He had his hearing, and they're waiting now for the response. And if the parole board... Um, gives uh, their recommendation, then it is possible, long overdue, but possible now, that Jonathan will finally have some measure of justice and be allowed to, to be released. Okay, well said, and we'll continue to pray for his release. And as you said, those wh- whether we have a very effective role in it or not, uh, everyone should continue to do what they do uh, behind the scenes to help in that situation. Secondly, uh, there was a, a rally in New York City this week. No secret. We've been pushing it here on the air for a couple of weeks. Uh, I thought, um, despite some of the logistical issues, which, you know, we, we can nitpick a million things here, but I thought that for, an, for a July weeknight with no summer camps around and no schools in session and with a lot of people away and people no doubt fearful that it would be so hot they wouldn't be able to stand and all the other factors that go in when people start to think why they can't go to a rally, I thought it was a really good and powerful showing by the masses uh, this past Wednesday night. Uh, yes, let me just add one thing on the power thing that's oh, yeah. coming up, and that is that people think it's linked to the Iran deal. It is absolutely not linked to it. There is no correlation. This is the, the, the judicial process or appeal, uh, pardon process uh, that he, uh, uh, parole, parole process. process rather, that he has to go through. So it's not linked. People think it's a trade off or something being offered in exchange. That is not the case. I just don't want, because I know a lot of people ask me that. Right, good point. In terms of, of uh, the rally, I think the turnout was remarkable. Uh, I think uh, Jeff deserves a lot of credit for the initiative, the the um, and uh, undertaking this with uh, with others. Uh, there was a remarkable array of speakers, and I think it reflects the the genuine feeling and the charge atmosphere there reflects how 
much concern there is there and in other places, and there are many activities going on, many things involving members of Congress, getting people to understand what the concern is, uh, and and it has to be focused on the substance. It's, it's The case has to be made so that the American people understand, not because of Israel and not because the Jews don't want it, but because it's bad for America, because our elected officials don't want it, and because the more that they study it, the more details that come out, the more concerns that are raised. Mm, no question about that. By the way, speaking of the rally, and I'm sure after this show you will call me and, and yell and scream that I should never have brought it up on the air because I know the last thing I'm supposed to do is give any publicity to this, but sometimes you get so frustrated. You know, the, the we cannot praise enough the NYPD and the mayor's office and everybody who makes these things, you know, possible and logistically possible. And, and there's no question that you would agree that the overwhelming amount of cooperation from both is amazing. And, uh, and, and we will continue to praise the NYPD on these airwaves and, and why not? They're, they, they are incredible. But sometimes there's a blunder when the, when the noticeably Jewish looking people, Jewish looking people, uh, who are holding Iranian flags and expressing their opposition are given VIP, what seems to be, what seems to be VIP treatment at a rally like this. You know, Malcolm, when I observe rallies, usually the opposition is blocks away somewhere and not standing in the middle of uh, a 7th Avenue, 150 feet away from the main stage. So I just have to say that. I don't know if you want to comment on it, but. That's that. Well, first of all, the, uh, the NYPD did a great job. Remember, it was very difficult because people, I think they were like three blocks on both sides of the streets and traffic running in the middle. It was very complicated, and it's not the ideal location for, for that kind of a crowd. And I'm sure at the beginning, we anticipated that it would it would uh, grow like that. I do have to say that I was very surprised about uh, the, the marching the uh, those people into the middle ground, and I, and I give the crowd credit for not doing what I know sometimes I feel uh, my gut reaction is to them and to the uh, to their horrific behavior. And I mean, for people like that to carry the Iranian flag, people uh, representing a government that says that's the Jews, that's to Israel, that's to America, that they want that's who they want to be associated with, and. Um, but, but I don't know what the prior arrangement was, so it could be that that was an understanding they had. Yeah. The other thing I have to say, and I know there's a lot of news and people are anxious to hear, as am I, and we'll get to it in a second, but I must say, the the number of people who came in from out of town, I know that places like Baltimore, Maryland, were, were represented Wednesday night. Are you aware of the fact that Jay Schottenstein commissioned a bus from Columbus, Ohio, that traveled 12 hours each way so that 40 people could participate in the rally? I thought that was amazing. I think it, it is a remarkable statement. And it, and first of all, I think, uh, you know, it, it's not remarkable about Jay Schottenstein because it's the kind of thing he does all the time. And, you know, does not look for publicity or recognition. Yeah, but that 40 for people the, wanted to do that. He wrote. Right. Um, <laughs> but that's... He has his name on it, his uh, family's name. But uh, uh, I do think, again, it, it it is not something that's insignificant if you look at where buses came from. And also, if you see around the country that the federations in Boston, Miami, Los Angeles, many other places 
have now come out with strong positions, and this represents community positions, against the deal. Right. And I don't think there's any that has come out for the deal. Not everyone has taken a position necessarily, but I think that that is in and of itself an important statement. And people should see that this is not just the leadership, but it's it's sinking to the grassroots, which is what will determine if we are successful with members of Congress coming home next month, that everybody has to make sure that they meet with them, that they invite them to their synagogues or to their communities. Uh, Delegations should visit them in their offices, but they should also be invited and have to speak and state their case and whatever their position and be treated respectfully. But it's a chance to educate them, which means people have to be educated. And I think, uh, while they may not have read the 160 pages, they do know that some of the fundamental problems with the with the deal, and they should become familiar, and all of us should become familiar with some of those fundamental problems. Because every time you speak to a member of Congress or anybody in, in a leadership position or not, it's important to get those points across. Malcolm, uh, just let's backtrack for a moment to toward the beginning of the week. Uh, when it became an issue with certain members of Congress that the uh, President of the United States, uh, that Washington, quote-unquote, went to the U.N. for the Security Council vote on this uh, before going to Congress. As you recall, the way this developed in terms of the agreement or the understanding in Washington of how this would work, was it obvious to an observer like yourself that Congress would get it first before it goes to the U.N.? If you remember on the show, I spoke about this a long time ago that this would be a possibility that they would that uh, they would go to the United Nations because that could bypass the congressional process because the congressional debate only deals with the sanctions that impact the United States uh, United States sanctions rather, meaning that the Europeans and others can lift their sanctions. Russia, China, certainly anxious to do so and to, you know, go after that holy pot of gold that they think is is waiting there with the $100 billion being released and the weapons being able to be purchased. But the, the um, so even if Congress now votes this down, it does not mean that the rest of the deal is over. It means that American sanctions, which are very important, and in and of themselves have a great impact, because if you don't have access to the American banking system, trade, et cetera, and if you have to make a choice between Iran and the U.S., you're going to choose the U.S. I think that the the um, uh, I spoke about the, the likelihood that they would be able to go to the United Nations. Now, the, many members of Congress, and by the way, the Majlis, the Parliament in Iran, complained about it also, <laughs> and raised the, the objection that Iran allowed it to go to the Security Council before they had a chance to vote on it. Um, but it, it creates a fait accompli of sorts in the sense that. The United States is bound by this vote on the international sanctions. And we learned many other things in the course of this. For instance, that the much-touted eight-year and five-year sorry, embargoes on uh, conventional weapon sales for five years, missiles, uh, parts, and technology for eight years, is really not that because it says in there also that if the Iran is found to be in compliance, if the IEEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, finds them to be in compliance, which could happen in the first year because that's how they get the money released, mm-hmm. uh, then they, then the, the they can lift the the embargoes on both of those things as well. So so, the, so two of the key selling points that they were able to squeeze these out of the Russians and the Chinese and everybody at the at that time 
is in fact can be easily short-circuited according to the uh, UN resolution, the text of the UN resolution. And it's very complex. Look, there's a, it's very technical. Some things, you know, people are not going to read through the uh, all the names, 20, 30 pages of names of people who are being exempted. But a lot of those people have killed Americans. Suleimani, who's head of the IRGC, the Revolutionary Guard, is in the second tranche and gets out, you know, in five years the sanctions are lifted from him. Why? They should never be lifted from him. And I think that, you know, again, I know people probably glaze over when we talk about these details, but every one of these has real implications. All right, and I think that that's why it has to be a thoughtful process of looking at and understanding it. So two very important things that you just mentioned. Number one, unfortunately, built into this agreement are a lot of ways around the teeth, if there are any teeth, in the agreement, right? You mentioned the the years, and the years can turn into one year, etc. So that, that that's number one. We learned that there are a lot of ways around it, and we keep hearing more and more about this. I'll ask you about one of them in a moment. And the second thing, as you just said, is that Congress has a role here when it comes to the United States' role in sanctions with Iran. But in terms of the actual framework of the deal, we have to start getting used to the idea that this is going to be in place. This is going to be implemented. I, I don't think that we should yet say that this will be impl- because the United Nations resolution right. will be implemented. Because of the UN Council resolution. Right now the focus is on the U.S. and that is really the critical uh, battle now. Uh, and and we should put aside right now the United Nations and stuff. The members of Congress can raise it with administration officials why they were bypassed, why they feel there was an end run around are, them. Are they doing that, by the way, in a bipartisan way? Are there people on both oh, yes. sides? Yes, yes. And many Democrats were very upset by that and by the revelation just in the last 48 hours or so about uh, a secret agreement that two members of Congress found out about when they visited Vienna and, and went to the International Atomic Energy Agency and learned that there were two uh, codicils, secret codicils, that were agreed to, but not between uh, the P5 plus 1 or the United States and Iran, but they put it as being agreed to by the uh, IEA, which wasn't, uh, revealed, um, and and they both deal they deal with very sensitive issues. One about Parchin, which was the place where we believe that weaponization, and you know that for many years we've discussed this on the air and talked about it. And that, and that people that, never understood why we would take time on it. And that now area, they will. That area never made it into negotiation, right? Wasn't it left out of the negotiation? Right, right. And, but it is in this deal, and what they agreed to. Uh, and and the, nobody is revealing it. The administration said they're not going to, and they said because it's not theirs and they don't have the actual document, or they do have the document, um, that it, it, Parchin is the place where the weaponization, and the Iranians have put six times concrete over it. They've done many other things to, uh, to um, try and scrub the place, but, you know, the half-life of uranium is so long that traces can always be found. So... What they worked out is that the Iranians will provide them with samples, meaning it's like going to a, a, um, somebody suspected of being a drug addict <laughs> and telling him, you provide us with a urine sample, and we'll, you know, then we'll trust that as a judgment. All right. Second, seriously, secondly, the, the, um, aside from uh, Parchin, the, these uh, uh, secret codicils deal with critical issues that um, in the sense of the PMDs, and I know everybody gets confused when they hear the words, the possible military 
dimensions, about the past military activity, which is critical for setting the bar on how you measure what they have done since then. Right. So two of the critical issues are in these secret agreements, and now Congress is going to say the agreement, the, the law that was passed, the Corker bill passed a few months ago, signed by the president, says that everything must be turned over, that they have to tell them everything, and now they'll say, and, and there are also reports that there may be uh, understandings between um, various parties, between uh, oral understandings, verbal agreements, that they'll say, well, we can't turn over, we have their verbal understandings. Right, that I don't know for sure that it's true, but that- there are serious people speculating. That leads to my next question. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. We're live with Malcolm Honeline. He's on a cell phone. We'll explain why he's on the road so early in a moment. Um, uh, and we're live with a weekly update here Friday mornings at JMM, or by Yudin coming up from Israel on this Erev Shabbos Chazon. Uh, I don't know if this is a secret part of the deal, if this is a well-known part of the deal, or it fits into the category of the two you just discussed. Is there or is there not a provision that military installations, that military, um, uh, military sites in Iran are exempt from inspection? That is a critical question. I and no one else can give you uh, an answer uh, because we saw that the Iranian defense minister said that he's ruled out any access to the military sites right. and, um, and, and information to any foreign party. The, the Supreme Leader has said it. Others have said it. So I can't give you a definitive answer because we can't get one, but what we have heard is Secretary Kerry, others have said, look, no country, we wouldn't allow people to get access to our military installations. Well, first of all, we're not the same. Second of all, we're not the ones in the docket. They have a proven record of lying and abusing military sites, which if off limits, they will just transfer their nuclear activity to those places. And if the, even if they would be put under that inspection regime, which everybody has heard about where they say that it would take, you know, uh, you get 14 days and then 45 I'm sorry, 24 days, it could be even much more. It could be up to three months. Well, you can do an awful lot, even in a nuclear place uh, where, where nuclear action is taking place, to be cleansed if you have uh, if you can delay the process for, for several months. Yeah. So right now, it does not appear that they have, certainly not anywhere, anytime, and now everybody denies that they ever agreed to anywhere, anytime, though we know that they said, and they used that term, often in the discussion of, of what the expectation for the, the regime to be truly invasive and truly effective. You'll have an opportunity to discuss that question and many others. Uh, Malcolm, and the reason he's on the road so early, is part of the meeting this morning with Secretary Kerry. Um, how do you think he's handling all this? Because it does seem that in every single press conference hearing, he's obviously getting a lot of specific questions. Um, I, I, I guess he can't know every single detail of the agreement, but in terms of the way he's representing the president, do you do you get the feeling that he's doing a good job at it? Look, I think he, he's got a tough assignment because Congress, you know, is pressing him very hard. I'm sure there are things that, you know, he is reluctant to to put out to some of the, the private information or information they would like to keep uh, private. But I think, uh, you know, he 
he he's he is the secretary of state his job is to represent the administration position which he's doing um how effective it is we'll see as time goes on and people have more and more of a chance to evaluate both what he says and and what information will come out because inevitably things come out it doesn't stop you know with uh, uh with just the first weeks yeah. second weeks as I said, we we have learned some of the things through German intelligence sources, Russian intelligence uh, sources, others who have uh, revealed information about uh, um, what some of the additional... In- and, and, and also, you have to be careful about disinformation and misinformation because when... when um, th- that's a way of discrediting those who, who oppose us on legitimate grounds. And, and again, I think the discussion has to not personal. I think it has to, we have to always think about what, how you make the argument most effectively. And it's not by screaming, but, but on the, in this case, appealing to the minds and getting people to understand why this could be a danger to future generations. Yeah. Then they have to make a judgment. And, and it really rests on 535 people. And on a few of them, when a fewer number, when it comes to the override, if they can get two thirds or not of the Senate. Right. Um, does it surprise you that he agreed to this encounter? Because I would guess he's thinking, if he's walking to a, into a meeting that you're leading, it's likely not going to be a quote unquote friendly crowd on the issue of Iran. He he, he answered a meeting. He knows exactly how people feel, and I think it was. Uh, um, the right thing to do. I think you don't just go to friendly audiences if you're trying to convince himself, but I think he feels confident enough in his ability to at least explain and put forward his case, knowing that many of the people will be critical. Um, A lot of people are focused on Senator Schumer. Uh, You told me off the air why you think, uh, uh, you know, that uh, that people may be going a little bit overboard uh, in, in, in being concerned about his vote. We'll talk about that in a moment. He did say in a statement, and I wish I had it in front of me, but I'll paraphrase, that in addition to looking through the agreement with a fine tooth comb, that's something he said before last weekend, and reading everything his staff now has read it, he has read it, you know, this is what he said now this week. Uh, he also mentioned he'll be consulting with those that he consults on issues like this. It is possible, is it possible that you might be in, on that list of uh, Schumer advisors when it comes to his decision regarding the vote on Iran? Uh, no, I don't think so, because I think he's talking about people who will be able to give him expert advice, interpretations of some of the implications of the decisions. He, he may let us know, and, and I do speak to him periodically, uh, and uh, I don't at all diminish his ball. I think he is the single most critical person in this process right now because of his position. Because others look to him, uh, I mean, people like Senator Gillibrand, who has not said anything about her position, or Senator Cory Booker, who uh, has not said anything, and Blumenthal, Connecticut, these are, are critical because other members of the Senate look to them, and they, I think, look to, to Chuck uh, as a leader, and he's you know, up to be the next leader of the Democrats in, in the, the Senate. It's a very important position. Um, uh, I think it, you know, his track, his history as a supporter of Israel is clear. Uh, so what, what the concern I'm saying is that people should be careful with the, some of the language that's used. Right. But the intensity of feeling, and I think people, everybody has a right to, to contact his office, to send him a letter, to, right. to speak to, yeah, I, I didn't, there to let him know right. how strongly 
uh, voters in in New York feel. Yeah, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to suggest that you were saying uh, that, that his role is diminished. But my suggestion so, simply was that yes, he's vital and maybe the most important person in this entire process. But even if he would vote against it, I think you'd agree we we'd still have a long way to go, so to speak, to to make it to you know to the votes that are needed. I will tell you one time during the fight over Jackson Vanek, which was a very heated debate and probably the most intense um, that we had till now. And I think this is really uh, one of those watershed votes. It's not, you know, just another thing, another piece of legislation. Uh, Senator Javits of New York, who was angry at Senator Jackson, who introduced the legislation, mm-hmm. you know, which imposed the restrictions on trade with Russia. Right. For reasons I don't want to go into, but uh, not necessary. But when we went to see him, he was holding up 22 Republican votes, which was the key to victory, the margin of victory to get it passed. And I remember Gil Clapperman, Rabbi Clapperman, sure. and I were there. We, he was then chairman, and I was director of the Soviet Jury uh, Conference in New York. And he said to him, it was before Purim. He said, "From the Megillah, him kaid kazosi gatelamalchus." That maybe it is for your whole life. And Mordechai said to Esther. Everything was geared just for this moment, or when you, uh, that, that he said, uh, that this, this salvation will come, will, will be solved, but you and your family will be lost, your, and your father's house. And I remember Javits crying, and didn't answer us. He cried, and the next day, he, he turned the 22 votes over. So a single individual, it's not just his vote, it's the influence they have, and Chuck has a lot of influence, and that's why people are putting such emphasis on him. But the other votes, the other people, ought to be contacted. Every vote, every congressperson, everyone has a vote, an equal vote. Malcolm. And, and everyone should be talked to and respectfully and get to see them and talk to them. Be prepared, know what you want to argue, what, what positions you want to put forward, and listen to what they have to say. Malcolm, that is a great story. So you are not opposed to somebody going to Chuck Schumer and quoting that passage from McGillis Sester. Yeah. I'm not opposed to quoting it to anybody, including <laughs> President Obama, that uh, they have to understand that this is a decision for generations. The implications of this, not just for Israel, you know, in many cases for other countries, it's a bigger problem Um they say, but in the other Arab countries and others who strongly object to this deal. Um, but, but to understand the, the serious nature, the Jackson-Vanick legislation, which most of your listeners don't even remember anymore, yeah. or, and the younger ones never heard of. It was like on the tip of our tongues when we were in high school. <laughs> of course, it was what we talked about day in, day out, and it was easier than this in some senses because it was purely an American legislation and the Russians fought us. Uh, even President Nixon, who was then the president, was against it. For those who don't know, Richard Nixon was president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> and Henry Kissinger was secretary of state, and he opposed us. And ultimately, it was the people that decided, the people's support, going into the streets and, uh, and most of all lobbying and making the case why this was critical. Everybody said it would destroy relations. What did it do? It forced it in the same way the sanctions brought Iran to the table, something the president acknowledges, even though it was congressional sanctions, an initiative to, to put in sanctions, um, that that uh, brought the, the Iranians to the table. And, you know, we, we, unfortunately, because of this, we're ignoring all the rest of the world. That's right. Um, you know, there's so many other things that, uh, that are going on. There was this 
great report on the PA educational system, which showed the widespread glorification of terrorism, which I hope maybe, well, next week we'll get into and to talk about some of the other developments. But think of what the release of all of this money will do for Hamas, Hezbollah, or the Houthis, even if 10% of the released money. It would mean $15 billion would be available. And some say it's only $100 billion, so it'll be $10 billion if 10%. And most of the Iranian experts we talk to say they don't expect the money to be spent domestically. Something will be done. They'll show, you know, to give people a sense that they have some benefits. But it's going to go for their agenda. And his agenda still is hegemony in the region. It's control of the region. And too much of what we hear lends the support to the idea that they, that we're going to protect them from, from sabotage. We're going to help them from any effort, uh, cyber attacks and other things on their, on their uh, um, uh, nuclear-related computer systems. But what are we doing? And, and so all of these things really need to be clarified. People have to get the information on it. And, um, and, and, the one, and one of the things that was good news this week is that the Italian... Uh, Prime Minister was in uh, was in Israel, and he, and he spoke at the Knesset, uh, I think Thursday, uh, Wednesday or Thursday, and he gave a really great speech. It's a Matteo Renzi is the Prime Minister, and he uh, spoke highly about Israel, and he spoke about the Jewish people's right to the state in the homeland, and it doesn't exist because of the world's generosity after the Holocaust that Israel existed hundreds of years before, and you're the fulcrum of the world, etc. So. Um, he said, whoever thinks to boycott Israel does not understand that he is harming himself and betraying his future, mm-hmm. and that Italy's always stand for cooperation and never for boycotts, which are stupid and futile. Wow. Now, why can't every foreign minister in Europe say that and then implement it and stop uh, the, uh, the ridiculous uh, talk? There was the reports about the banking sanctions against Israel. That is, does not appear to be true. But Certainly, we see the movement and the legislation and the efforts that are being created to um, to uh, uh, introduce these ideas. By the way, on your earlier point, President Obama himself in that BBC interview said that lifting of the sanctions will increase Iran's ability to finance terrorists. Even he and that that steps have to be taken. And the the problem is that we know who we're dealing with, <laughs> and we know what kind of it what their intention is. And he says, Khomeini says, we're going to continue our war with the United States. He said that to America after they signed the deal. So it isn't as if it's going to change. And the deal actually calls for, um, calls for the, uh, uh, that the speeches that they give are supposed to change and that they <laughs> to be held to account for, you know, for public speeches, all the parties, not just the... That made Iran. it into the agreement. Yeah, but wait, so what are you going to do when he continues these speeches? He can say, death to America, death to Israel. There's no consequence for it. They can say that we're never going to agree to this. We're never the Israel's existence, the legitimacy of Israel. We, we want to deal with the Shiites and the, and the threatens uh, Bahrain, threatens Qatar, threatens Kuwait, uh, other countries in the region. There's no consequence to it. Oh, that's and for now sure. now we're going to release all of this money and, and, and gain them international standing and have delegations coming from Germany, France, the foreign ministers, the president of Austria is going, the foreign minister of France is going, Fabius, the, the, and others are going there. At least a German official, the vice chancellor, once said that we can never accept uh, what you say about Israel, uh, uh, challenging Israel's right to exist, etc. But the fact is they're going there and they're gaining international legitimacy.
At least the military option is still on the table. They keep speaking like that, Malcolm. The military option is still on the table. By the way, um, and we'll continue to talk, obviously, over the next few weeks about what people can do. And, and you want to emphasize, by the way, that it's, you know, people should keep in mind September 17th. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to put in a 24 hour a day effort in this, remember that there's a lot of weeks down the road that we're going to need the pressure as well, not just now at the very beginning of this whole process. And the vote could be a bit earlier. It could be even September 10th. So we have to prepare that after Labor Day, there will be another push. But I know there are delegations going to Washington. But most importantly is now these guys are coming, you know, to your hometown, appearing in the local theater. So make sure that people reach out to them and speak to them and try to win them, not alienate them, win them by the strength of our arguments and the legitimacy of the case, because I think it's a very strong one. Some people have mentioned to me and brought to my attention that they're not happy with Israeli officials. Uh, I don't know if the ambassador would fall into this category, but Israeli officials coming here to act as lobbyists during this process, especially since the uh, political community and the Jewish community uh, in general seems to be pretty passionate and involved in the process. What's your feeling about Israeli officials and members of government coming here to state their case regarding the deal? Well, they really haven't come here. They've been doing interviews mostly with uh, um, foreign sources, you know, American media and stuff, <laughs> sorry, and making the case. So it is a legitimate question because we do not believe Israel should be the focal point, that we have to make this case to the American people. Obviously, Israel is threatened, and for us, this is a major motivation. But to win the majority of the American people, we have to show them that this is about the United States' security. It's about the future of our children and grandchildren in the United States because when they're building these internet continental ballistic missiles, they don't need them against Israel. They can use shorter-range missiles. This is obviously against Europe and the United States. They are are developing, you know, uh, the the nuclear warheads that will be able to carry a bomb that will not be used against Israel. Uh, Their nuclear weapons that they're developing could be used, but they don't need the missile carriers to do that. So that's one. Two, I think the fact that you had a united front in Israel, that the opposition, every one of the opposition, Lapid and Bushi and every Herzog and others, are standing together is a very important statement. I think that really made a difference to uh, to the American public and to many members who see that this is not just the Netanyahu taking some political stance, but that those who have looked at it across the board, the spectrum, recognize that this is a dangerous deal. Right. Well... Uh, all right, we'll talk plenty more about this. By the way, there's some, there were some arrests yesterday, I mean, peaceful arrests at, uh, at uh, Chuck Schumer's office. Uh, was curious in your, in your student struggle days, did you ever uh, make it into the Huskow, Malcolm, or you avoided all that? <laughs> no, somehow I avoided it, but I, no, I did get arrested in Russia. Oh, in Russia. All right, because he's for Russian Jews. Wow. Uh, and uh, in other places for uh, similar things, but never in the United States. Wow. It, My record's clean. It reminds no me. Far, no far. I, I think I've told you this story before. It was one of the most interesting days of my life. I, I was, um, sitting in Hebron with Rabbi Avi Weiss and Rabbi Levinger together in the cafe in Hebron. And, and Rabbi Weiss says to Rabbi Levinger, uh, I have never ever 
been arrested inside the state of Israel. That's my shita. I've never been arrested in Israel. And Rabbi Levinger said, I've never been arrested outside the state of Israel. <laughs> That's my shita. So, right. so there you go. We know, we know the homeline creed now. Russia's fine, but it's not happening in the United States. <laughs> Russia, Jordan, other places. God almighty. It's all good. Can only imagine what the conditions were like there. All right, I know it's, hey, it really is Erev Tishabov. What am I saying? Uh, Shabbos is not Erev Tishabov. Shabbos is the ninth of Av. So today is Erev Tishabov. And Malcolm, with that in mind, we should end on a note of, uh, of Jewish unity and concentrate on the topics that will hopefully bring us to the ultimate salvation. What is your message as we get ready to observe, unfortunately, yet another Tishabov? That the antidote to what caused Tishabov, Tinachinam, it's Abad Chinam, that the antidote to the um, uh, reasonless hatred is is uh, is true love and, and feeling for one another, that Jewish unity is the most important thing we can achieve, and especially in a time of tension like this, we have to be one, and even if people disagree, we do it respectfully, and that they understand and think about the consequences of their words and their actions, that this is uh, a, a critical moment that future generations will look back at and will judge what people have done and didn't do and how it was done. But we need to maintain the unity of our community over an extended period and the uh, uh, commitments that we have to one another. Oh, no question about it. Have a, a good Shabbos and an easy fast. Yeah. We'll speak again next to week. You and to everyone. And good uh, luck today. I hope it's the last one before yeah. it becomes a simcha. Amen to that. I say good luck today to Malcolm. As we mentioned earlier, he's, uh, of course, leading that meeting with Secretary Kerry, which will begin uh, probably in the next 90 minutes or so in New York City. So uh, we wish him the best of luck. Uh, 25 minutes after 8 o'clock, it's JM in the AM on this Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. And um, uh, what can I say? Erev Tishabav as well, as we say, because uh, tonight is the 9th of Av, but uh, because of Shabbos, we will postpone the observance of Tishabav until tomorrow night. We'll go through some of the events coming up. Charlie Harari is going to join us, as we said. I I must give... A tremendous shout-out and thank you to our friends at OnlySimchas.com. I, I see they posted the Omri Caspi anti-BDS story, which I think is one of the most amazing stories, especially if you're a sports fan and you love Israel. Um, they are doing a remarkable job, not just reporting Simchas, which we need, believe me, we need. Uh, all the engagements and Brisson and birthdays and everything else are still up there. Uh, but every day now they are posting a brand-new news stories uh, many of which, a lot of them are serious, but many of which are really heartwarming and wonderful and exceptional uh, compared to some of the other sites out there um, in terms of uh, Jewish content. So I, I want to highly recommend and thank them because they're using a lot of our material, which is which is, which is uh, quite complimentary, and we're very thankful for it. And uh, I want to recommend to everybody, check out OnlySimchas.com. Do it on a regular basis because now it's not it's the Simchas. And it's some wonderful stories, many of them really heartwarming. I love this one with the uh, Breslov twins who married the twins, and they became parents on the same day. Someone told me the story last night. I said, there's no way it's true. And then, sure enough, I find out that it is. Uh, so thank you, OnlySimchas.com. And as we enter Tisha B'Av, let's hope that, in fact, we are celebrating only Simchas in the future. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. I am proud again to say that today Rabbi Yudin speaks to us from the State of Israel. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. For you it is this morning. For me it is almost 3.30 noon sitting in 
Beit Shemesh. And uh, like I say, I wish you were here. Um, it's hot. That's okay. It's summertime. It's supposed to be hot in the summer. And uh, there's air conditioning. And uh, just to be here, I always tell you, you have Shabbos back in the States. Very important. You don't have the air of Shabbos that they have here. When you drive around and you need to go to the drugstore, and the drugstore closes at 1 o'clock because everything is closing at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, you know you're in a very special place. And you can see flowers all over the place coming up for Shabbos. I don't have to tell you, it's just wonderful to be home and wish it on everybody to come home soon. Just before we even get started with Pasha's Dvorim, which according to the Chinuch has two mitzvos, two restrictive mitzvos, referring to the Dayanim, in contrast, please God, to the many, many mitzvos, which we'll talk about next week in Parshas for Eschanan of Shabbos Nachamu, just one or two ideas to just make us feel good. How special is Eretz Yisrael? How this past week, you should know that there are 2,500, uh, what they call Hatzalah, United Hatzalah, responsors in, uh, in Eretz Yisrael and a delegation, many of whom were religious Jews, went to Dubai, a, uh, one of the uh, Persian Gulf states, in order to teach them the art of Hatzalah, using the smartphone, using trained volunteers, using uh, motorcycle ambulances, how to save lives. This is not just happening in Eretz Yisrael, but this is Vrokol Olam Kulo. The entire world is beginning to see. Look what the Jew can do. Look what the Jew does do. But he doesn't only do it for himself, but literally he spreads the wealth to quote the rest of the world as well. Um, this Shabbos is a very difficult juggling act. What do I mean by that? I mean, on the one hand, it is Shabbos, and Shabbos certainly prevails. And there's no avelus, there's no mourning, M-O-U-R-N, on Shabbos. Yet, there are Dvarim Shabbat Sinah. If a woman needs to go to the mikvah tonight, the mikvah is open. Uh, otherwise, married couples should preferably abstain from relations tonight because it is Tisha B'Av, and this is Dvarim Shabbat Sinah, that which is uh, private. However, on the one hand, tonight in most Bote Kinesios, they're going to sing Lechadodi to that sad tune of Elitzion, which we conclude the Kinos. Tomorrow, the Haftorah in many, many synagogues is going to be read to the sad tune of Echa. So, which one is it? Is it Shabbos? Is it Avelas? And the answer is it's both. And even big day Shabbos, that we have the practice of wearing Shabbos clothing tomorrow, that's following, you should just know, the practice of the Ari. The Chassam Sofer said you really shouldn't wear your Shabbos clothing. You should wear a suit below your regular Shabbos. We don't. But let's understand that there's this kind of tension going on, or as I would say, a difficult balance. And maybe to understand it in the following way, that when a person is in Avelos, Lo'aleinu, he's in Shiva, so on Shabbos he doesn't have to do anything different. We suspend, we don't cancel, but we press the pause button on Shabbos for the Avelos, except for Dvarim Shabbat Sinah, because he's very much aware of the Avelos. The Avelos is a present one. 
the Avilas, the mourning for the Churban Beis Hamigdash and all the tragedies of Jewish history, it's not in front of us. And therefore, it's important that we bring it to the fore and not let it disturb the Shabbos. Our pining, our connecting with the Beis Hamigdash, our yearning for it, this is a way of enhancing our Shabbos. It helps us focus on what is the importance of Shabbos. Forgive me. I don't think, ideally, that one should spend much time, if any, reading a newspaper, certainly a secular one, on Shabbos, especially not this Shabbos. Just as you would not read a newspaper when you are in Shiva, you should not read a newspaper tomorrow. You should realize, wow, that we are pining for the Beis Hamigdash, and there are much more important values for which we are to focus. I think you should spend a drop more time in your tefillahs musaf tomorrow to realize what we are without. We're without that additional special korbanos that were brought every Shabbos, hence our tefillahs musaf. All other tefillahs correspond to, you could argue, the tmidim, the korbanos that were brought every day, and they had a element of rachamim, asking Hashem to help us, all our needs during the week, health, wealth, etc. And on Shabbos, the same chalkeinu besor But Musaf has one theme and one theme only. Restore the korbanos. Pause for tomorrow a moment when you're saying tefillahs Musaf in shul or at home, wherever it is, and say it a little bit slower. Recognize that that little change in the davening that many of us do, the anu tonight, Vyanuchuvo tomorrow Shabbos Shacharis and Vyanuchuvam Shabbos afternoon for Mincha represents the three stages of Shabbos. The first stage of Shabbos Bereshis is tonight. Shabbos morning is Shabbos of Matan Torah when the Torah was given on a Shabbos. And tomorrow afternoon is Yenuchu Vam, which is the ultimate Shabbos that is going to be, please God, when the Geula comes. And again, our observing Shabbos now, as the Gemara says at the end of Tanis, of Lamed Amit Be'ez, Kolamis Abel, whoever mourns for Yerushalayim, right? What does the Gemara say? Zoche Veroe Bismchosa. Right? Now, what does that mean? Whoever mourns for Jerusalem, literally, now, doesn't say, points out the Chassam Sofer, that in the future, he'll see the happiness and the rebuilding of Jerusalem. No! It means right now, our very pining, our very connecting to it is so significant. And that's what I believe we should do this Shabbos. At our Shabbos table, the discussion should be that just as, as the Mishnah tells us, five tragedies occurred on Tisha B'Av, and the first one was the hate of the Meraglim, that the Jewish people listened to the ten bad spies, as opposed to the two good ones, and they rejected the land of Israel, we have to say to ourselves, how can we connect all the more with Eretz Yisrael, each one in their own way. Now, I just want to remind most everybody that when you go to shul tonight for Mincha, or if you're not going to be there, just bring it to shul, not on Shabbos, your non-leather shoes, which you will need tomorrow night after Shabbos. 
So bring it today, as well as if there won't be a break, maybe your keynotes, bring it again before uh, Shabbos. Now just understand, we're going to talk about some of the laws of Tisha B'Av. This year there is no Suda Mavsekes, the meal that we eat by itself with bread, hard-boiled egg, ashes, uh, sitting low, etc., that you don't have this year at all. You don't have to have a hard-boiled egg for Shalashudas unless you eat a hard-boiled egg every Shalashudas. Uh, you certainly don't eat low, etc. Now, the idea is, could you have meat the tomorrow afternoon for Shalosh Sudos? The answer is yes. But if you don't, usually I don't recommend it, but the idea is, once again, this delicate balance between, on the one hand, it's Shabbos, and it's Shabbos all the way. But on the other hand, it's also Tisha B'Av that we connect with and realize what we are missing, and please God, looking forward to that Yom Shakulo Shabbos, which will be in the future. Now, Tisha B'Av has those five restrictions that we have on Yom Kippur. Eating and drinking is prohibited on Tisha B'Av, but let's understand something. Whereas on Yom Kippur, there is this uh, concept of eating pachos mikashir that if one has to eat on Yom Kippur, so one ideally eats a less than a kosevis, takes a bite and waits nine minutes, and then takes another bite and waits nine minutes. This does not apply to Tisha B'Av. If one needs to eat or drink on Tisha B'Av, they do so regularly, no more than what's necessary, and no ice cream, so to speak, but the idea is that you don't have to eat pachos mikashir. Uh, secondly, there is no uh, washing, which we'll talk about, of washing one's body on Tisha B'Av. Uh, marital relations is prohibited uh, tomorrow night on Tisha B'Av. In fact, it's one of the two nights during the year, tomorrow night, that the mikvah is closed. Um, the wearing of leather shoes is prohibited on Tisha B'Av. Um, okay, now, a, as we pointed out, the mikvah is closed Please God, tomorrow night. Um, regarding rinsing one's mouth or mouthwash, it is not permitted on Tisha B'Av. A pregnant woman or a nursing woman, listen carefully, should make the attempt, key word, should make the attempt to fast. To them, I say no heroics. If you can do it, wonderful. If not, no heroics. And a sick person does not have to fast. It's very important. If you have to fast, you do. If you're not supposed to fast, don't. Now, a woman who gave birth during the past 30 days as well is not obligated to fast. If she feels that she can, she has to stop whenever she feels a greater sense of weakness. Now, you're not to wash or immerse in water any part of your body with the following exceptions. When you wake up in the morning, on Sunday morning, so you wash negovasa with a cup, right hand, left hand, right, left, right, left, alternating, and up to the knuckles. You'll then uh, shake the water off your fingers and put your fingers through your eyes to remove whatever might have accumulated, and that's it. However, should you need 
Two, wash your hands for practical reasons. You're going to prepare food for somebody else. You want to wash a vegetable. You don't have to be so careful. We're talking about washing for your benefit, for tanuk, that you have to be so careful. But if your, uh, your hands get dirty, you're taking care of a baby, etc., no question that in those, under those conditions you can wash your hands. And after you've used the bathroom, once again, you wash your hands into the knuckle. And... Um, before you daven, you can wash your hands once again. Before you um, uh, daven, wash your hands to the knuckles. Now, if a person has to eat on Tisha B'Av, then they wash their hands in their usual way. No ma'imachronim. One who perspires heavily can use deodorant on Tisha B'Av. All other beauty aids, there it is, sicha, is uh, not permissible. That's the fifth of the restriction on Tisha B'Av. Sunbathing is forbidden. Leather shoes or shoes covered with leather may not be worn. And preferably tomorrow night, one should not sleep in the usual manner, but rather in a less comfortable way. If he usually sleeps with two, let him sleep with one pillow. If they can sleep without a pillow, fine. But the idea is to minimize our you know, pleasure. Until Chatzos, until midday of Sunday, while Shabbos is tomorrow, Tisha B'Av, but we keep all the laws on Sunday, one must sit on the ground or on a stool, right, low, until Chatzos. Now, this is very, very important. We say kinos, as we'll talk about, I'll say to you right now, on um, Tisha B'Av morning, which we don't put on our talis and tefillin Sunday morning. We do wear them, however, Sunday afternoon for mincha. Now, uh, just listen. What is kinos? So kinos are, number one, a many, many recitation of what you would call um, dirges, or we are literally crying out to Hashem, and saying to Hashem things that we would never say otherwise. We cry out and say, how could this have happened? Because we're mourning not only for the destruction of the two, but a Migdash. We're mourning for all the sorrows that have happened over the years. And that's why within the Kinos, we talk about the destruction of the great Torah centers of uh, Judaism in Germany, um, um, the various communities that were killed out by the Crusaders long after the destruction of the Beis Mingdash. Why? Because we believe that it's all an outgrowth of the destruction of the uh, Beis Mingdash, And we are to do in this process a great deal of soul-searching and recognize that if we have not been privileged yet to have the third Beis Mingdash, we can't blame anybody else but ourselves. This is a very important integral part of the keynotes on Sunday uh, morning. Um, again, until midday, we sit low on the ground. Ideally, try to go to your Besat Knesset where there will be explanations of keynotes, and especially this year where it's on a Sunday, and hopefully many more don't have to work. If you really have to work on Tisha B'Av, let it be after Chatzos. And in terms of sitting, you can sit in a car if you need to, on um, you know, Tisha B'Av if you have to go where you really have to go. Now, in terms of learning Torah, it tells us so much. 
that really Torah is Nesam Chelev. It really does make us happy. And that's why one is restricted on Tish Ba'av in terms of learning only those things which relate to uh, the sufferings of our people, books of Eo, parts of Yermio, third chapter of the Gemara Moikotam, fifth chapter of the Gemara Gitin, Echa, etc. And even these should not be studied in depth. But it does show us how ideally, you know, the learning of Torah is to satisfy us and make us happy. And that's why, interestingly, in terms of tomorrow, although Ramah says that one should even abstain from learning Torah on Erev Tishabav in the afternoon, you can rely upon the Mishnah Brura and, yes, study Torah tomorrow afternoon. And even learning with children, tell them stories of the Chorban. All right? Preferably, one should not write on Tishabav until after mid the day. And housework should not be done on uh, Tish Ba'av. After mid-the-day, you can make the beds. Ideally, business should not be conducted, you know, until at least Chatzos uh, mid-the-day. And even then, um, one should try to minimize, um, you know, the business they do on Tish Ba'av. This Sunday, there's no Sheila Shalom. You're not to greet somebody on Tish Ba'av. And... That's especially until uh, Chatzos. After Chatzos, we a little bit less. Now, um, gift-giving, understood, is not to be done on Tish Ab'av. Ideally, after davening, we're going to go Sunday in the afternoon. If there's a local cemetery and it's not too hot, that's where they say you should go for a little while. Once again, to remind us of the uh, sadness of the day. And if one you should not prepare the meal to be eaten after the fast before mid the day. Now this year, um, with Tishabov coming on a Motsoi Shabbat, so we don't make Havdullah on uh, tomorrow night. We do say the bracha of Borei Miorei Ho'esh. It probably will be said in shul with everybody there, depending on your shul, the minog, whether before Eicha or uh, right after Mayriv, etc. And um, the idea is that if a woman is not coming to uh, shul to hear Eicha and she won't hear the bracha, in shul, she should wait till the husband comes home. He should wait and recite the bracha for both of them as opposed to she saying it by themselves. Afterwards, Again, after Shabbos is over tomorrow night, we don't say Abdullah, women especially, who are not going to be in shul, or who didn't say Atachon Antano, should say Baruch HaMavdil, Bein Kodesh Lachol. Um, tomorrow night, um, very simply, after the Shemona Esrei, Tiskabil is recited, but after that, we do not say uh, Tiskabil, which means that God should accept our prayers. In other words, there's a clear understanding that unfortunately there's been a breakdown um, and that Iron Curtain has been established. Okay, we don't make a bracha before we read Eicha tomorrow night, and... Um, we don't say v'hinoam and v'yitein l'cha tomorrow night. Um, tomorrow night, Kriyashma is recited before going to sleep. And as we pointed out, Sunday morning we don't put on the 
tefillin, talis and tefillin for chakras, we do wear it at mincha. We do put on the talis katan on Sunday morning with the bracha. Sunday morning, Shasali called Sarki is recited as part of chakras. All the korbanos. And Mizmah Lesoda are recited, but we delete. Tachanun, amazing. We don't say Tzikoscha tomorrow afternoon. Why? Tisha B'av is a holiday. Since it will be a holiday, we look upon it already as if it's a holiday. We don't say Avin Malkeinu. We don't say Kiler Hapayim. We don't say the, after the reading of the Torah, the Yirat zones. We don't say Lamatseach before in between Ashrei and Avolat Sion. Pitamakatores is omitted. Enkelokeinu is not said. And Banizos Brisi is omitted from the Uvolat uh, Sion. And in, listen carefully now, in the afternoon, by our Mincha, we do include a Anenu, and we include Nachem, very important, the one bracha that's recited once a year that please God in the future will not be recited the bracha of Nachim which basically says we ask God to comfort us but we also ask that he be comforted and this is a very powerful idea that not just we are in pain and suffering on Tisha B'Av but so is Hashem finally when it comes to after Tisha B'Av we make Havdalah we start Havdalah with the bracha. We don't make a besamim this year at all this Shabbos. The Boromio Esh we've said on Saturday night, tomorrow night, we start the bracha Havdalah with Borei Prihagafen. And even though, listen carefully, and then just the rest of the bracha, Mavdu Kodesh Lachol, the only restriction this Sunday night, Sunday night you can wash clothes, Sunday night you can shave, haircuts, everything except for meat and wine, which is still us or just this Sunday night. A reminder to us of the Corbanos, which had meat and wine. Okay? And uh, I'm just going to conclude by reminding everybody that Tisha B'Av, will be a holiday. Don't take my word for it. Take the Navi Zachariah. The Navi Zachariah promised us that Som HaChamishi, the fast of the fifth month, which is what we are going to, it looks like, observe this coming year, will be, he promises, and I'll put my money on him, that it will be a Yom Tov. And that's what we have to keep in mind on Shabbos. And that's what we have to remember, that Amir Hashem, we have lost it, and we can, please God, bring it back. Shabbat Shalom, and a meaningful fast to all. J.M. in the A.M. I thank Rabbi Yudin. Amazing to hear him from Israel on this Erev Shabbos Chazon, essentially uh, Erev Tisha B'Av, of course, here at J.M. in the A.M. Um... Lots of things going on, as we've been mentioning. A lot of things happening on uh, Tisha B'Av Day. A lot of things happening uh, uh, tomorrow night. A lot of things happening on uh, on Sunday. And uh, I, I've mentioned this a few times over the last couple of days. It is It continues to baffle me, <laughs> no matter how many years I've been in radio, uh, just how popular 
the segment is uh, that Project Inspire brings to you through a variety of sites, including our own. Um, every single Tisha B'Av toward the end of the fast. Uh, the uh, Project Inspire is going to be showing a video presentation entitled The Tenth Man, a 50-minute inspirational film presentation that's going to be in a lot of shuls, a lot of bungalow colonies, a lot of neighborhoods over Tisha B'Av. And um, it, it includes remarks by Rabbi Eitan Feiner. Uh, in addition to that, on Sunday night at 7 o'clock, Charlie Harari and staff members of Project Inspire are going to be presenting the final two hours of Tisha B'Av, a, a segment that has attracted thousands over the last few years. You'll hear the whole thing on NahumSiegel.com. You'll hear the whole thing on JNAM.org, on the NSN app. It starts at 7 p.m. Eastern Time this coming Sunday night. Charlie Harari, welcome back to JM in the AM. It is such an honor to be here. Thank you, Nahum. I appreciate that. Uh, you always have a unique perspective. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure the fact that Tisha B'av falls on Shabbos has uh, has a, a different and unique meaning to you this year. That's for sure. I, I don't know why it is that this has become such an attractive spot, but it is amazing how at the end of Tisha B'av, at the end of the whole process, you would think when everyone's just anxious to get to the food and not. Worry about all the things that have happened in the previous 24 hours. Eicha and Kinnis and sitting on the floor and sleeping uncomfortably and, and a long mincha with Tolleson's fill. And I, I can't believe, it's amazing, how at 7 o'clock Sunday night so many people want to gather together and end the fast together. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. We're also, we were actually quite surprised. We thought that, there, you know, so much goes on during the day. There's so many options, like you said, mincha minyanim, different videos. There's so many shiurim. But almost nothing goes on as you get closer to the end of the fast. Right. By 5 o'clock, everyone's done. And <laughs> everyone goes back to their home and sort of waits it out. And we figured that if everyone's waiting it out, why not do something during that period of time to be able to give people something to do while they wait it out? Right. So thank God it's been, I hope we, can, I hope we don't have to do Tishaba, but if we do, thank God it's been great. And it's an opportunity for us to really reflect on the day and to and to go strong. I think one of the things you never want Tisha B'Av to do is to leave in a position of, I've heard these great things, i got a good cry, or whatever it is. And now it's like, all I really can think right now is my bagel. <laughs> you got you got to end on a high note, because the goal of Tisha B'Av is to not get us to survive a fast, it's to get us to, you know, reconnect to God. I remember you've used that bagel line before. Charlie Harari is with us via telephone as we talk about Sunday night, 7 p.m. A lot of websites, including our own, uh, will be bringing you his inspiring words. Now, explain to me the format. Is it going to be based on the video that Project Inspire is touting for this Tisha B'Av? That's a part of it. I mean, the goal of this period is, of this segment is, what can we do to inspire? How can we end Tisha B'Av on a high note? Right. Tisha B'Av is not a sad day. It's a great day. It's a day to reconnect to what's important, to their purpose. So our entire goal is to use the video, to use other things going on um, in the neighborhood that people have been watching and bring those rabbis on. It's to have a time where we get to talk and try to inspire all of us so that we take really practical lessons out of the day and, and end on a high. And I apologize that we, that we didn't have as much time this morning as I thought we would, but Maybe you could give us a minute on that very topic of why it's such a great day. Some people cringe, including myself, before I got used to uh, uh, the way you presented this topic. 
um, when someone goes ahead and calls Tisha B'Av a great day, why is it in fact a great day of uh, for our nation, a great day for individuals in our community? Yeah, I, I, not to, to connect. This is a little big lahav deal, but yes, you know, you know me well. You know how much I love sports. I remember a long time ago watching a documentary about Jerry Rice. Remember the good old Jerry Rice? Oh yes, one of the greatest receivers of all time. And they they had they had a story about where Jerry Rice was at the Pro Bowl, which used to happen after the Super Bowl, and they couldn't find him in the morning for the, for a, for a photo shoot. And he was actually practicing already. And they said, Jerry, you just won the Super Bowl and just won the MVP. What are you practicing for? He said, I feel best when I'm thinking about next year's Super Bowl. Wow. I don't enjoy doing nothing. I enjoy living for my purpose, my mission, which is, for him, winning Super Bowls. Tisha B'Av, and I'm going to say this and you're going to laugh, Tisha B'Av is one of the best days of the year. <laughs> and the reason is because once we get past the no eating thing, we realize that, we are a nation that is supposed to be idealistic. We're not supposed to settle for New York City or for Atlanta or Cal. We're supposed to never stop until we have Yerushalayim. Like, there's never a moment where God expects our people to stop fighting for everything. We want it all. We want Geula. We want people to never be sick. We want the world to, to believe in Hashem. We are never going to stop. But life goes on, and you forget. And your day continues, and you go through your day, and then we start hoping for, like, bigger kitchens and, and a little bit of parnasa and someone to be healthy. And these are all good things. And one day a year, God says, you guys are missing it. You're playing for the Super Bowl. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But this is the day where everybody has to spend a day reminding themselves that you're here because you're pushing for something great. Oh, well said. Then, well said. Um, I, I apologize for cutting you short. I wish you an easy fast. Project Inspire brings you Charlie and uh, a whole host of great people. 7 p.m. Sunday night to wrap up the fast. You can hear the whole thing on our websites and on the NSN app. Charlie, call it Kavod. I hope it goes really well Sunday night. I'm sure thousands around the world are going to be tuned in. Thank you, Nachum. Davin for us that we can stay up and, uh, be <laughs> to be doing this in your Shalom. Amen. Uh, Time to say good Shabbos. Journeys on this era of Shabbos Chazon. Candle lighting 8 p.m. This is JM in the AM. Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One. Say special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine. Man and his creator is a very special sign. Matis Weingast has just made it official for Sunday morning. JM Sunday at 7 o'clock Sunday morning will feature Harry Moskoff, author of the book The Ark Report, which gives a shortened version of his shear on the connection between the three temples, which he'll be giving Sunday night in Israel before the end of Tisha B'Av. Yes, that is the three temples, meaning the two we've had and the one, of course, that we await. Um, 
He'll, of course, feature uh, Rabbi Wine as well with his Tisha B'Av lectures. And uh, Rabbi Alchanan Weinbach, our Fast Day consultant, will join Matas as well on Sunday morning between 7 and 9, right here at jmnam.org this coming Sunday morning. Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Hey, listener uh, Judy reminds me that today is listener Cena's birthday. Happy birthday, listener Cena, down in Florida from all of us here at JM in the AM. On this Arab Shabbos Chazon, Arab Tishabov, I um, wish everybody an easy fast. Uh, don't forget Sunday at 7 a.m. Matis, Sunday at 7 p.m. Charlie Harari on our stream at jmnam.org. Monday morning back into our regular format starting at 6 a.m. Please join us. Have a wonderful Shabbos and an easy weekend until Monday. And don't forget, 2 p.m. Sunday, Isaiah Wall across from the U.N. for Mincha. Bring your towels and fill in. Till Monday morning, Nachum Segal reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.